This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And this is Jacob Brass with Longleaf Fertilia, and you are listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. Enjoy. I should. Well, I don't know. I keep forgetting to turn it off every week. So maybe you should start turning it off. Day in, day out, this poor mouse is uh is working like crazy. So, but it's uh it's Thursday, which means it's THP time. Whoop, whoop. Which means it's episode one seventy uh, of the Herpeticulture podcast, which is brought to you by BlackboxCages.com. We'll moved on here in the middle there. Because Jake's so small and he fits in frame a little better <laughs> under there. He's just hiding out. Yeah, I just hide over in the shadows where I belong. Yeah. Uh, blackboxcages.com. Check them out. Facebook, Instagram. Uh, and then Steve Snake Shirt and his Venom Hot Sauce. Check them out. Check Steve out. He's got uh, a whole line of awesome hot sauces mm-hmm. that help him with his public education public outreach, uh, rehabilitation, relocation. Uh, he has his own collection that he uses to do all these things. So if you get the hot sauce from Steve Snakeuary, take your pick. There's a whole lineup of them. Uh, get all of them. Collect them all. Got to catch them all. Give them a shot. You're helping mm-hmm. out a good dude. Yep. Not only are you helping them out, they are awfully tasty. So you won't be disappointed. You're hoping to get cause and... Got something nice and spicy to put in your mouth. If you're into that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it's not for everybody. Um, but. Black box. So I'm, I have the Aki cage thing has been figured out. I'm getting a XT4, which I think is that's what I have the, the Jansen iron right now. That's the four by two by two, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Heck yeah. That's going to be coming here soon. I'm going to do a video, uh, like an unboxing video to sort of show off how they pack their stuff, which is actually really impressive. If anyone's yeah. seen Snakes and Stogies and they've seen Phil's video or pictures of how they packed his stuff, it's it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's really nice. And like if you if once you order from them, because like that's everybody's thing is like, oh, shipping is so expensive. Once you get from them, you'll see why. Shipping is not cheap. For one, it's a huge piece of equipment. For two, they pack it better or just as good as anybody else in the industry. I would say they're some of the best packing out there. And their lead times are quick as hell. Quick as hell. Approximately two weeks. Fastest lead times in the biz, I believe. So, you know. So I'm excited. I'm going to get the, uh, finally get the the Aki's upgraded and. Yeah, I know you've been wanting to do that. Moved for a in while, at some point. So. I mean, they still have some size, so I could hold off if I wanted to. But I'm gonna get the uh, get this set up and gotta make a, a run for some more driftwood or something because yeah. now I got a bigger cage to fill out. So yeah, is this gonna be a forever cage for them? Or? Yeah, I think so. Okay. It should be. Are you getting it decked out with like a uh, heat bulb and UVB? It's and gonna all have. That? Yep, it's gonna have the. It's gonna have two of the bulb. Mouse. sockets oh, okay uh and then it's gonna have a uv and my next hurdle is then gonna be how do i make sure it doesn't heat up the jansen eye cage because i'm assuming i'm gonna put that on the bottom and then do the jansen eye cage on top of that 
if you don't want it to affect it as much, I would probably put the Aki's up top. You think it'll? I mean, that's going to be a lot of dirt and stuff. I just wondered about the weight. Yeah, like, I didn't. They think are about stackable. That. I didn't think about I, the heaviness of it. So, or yeah. I guess worst case, I get a sheet of wood or something and put it between the two just th- to give it a buffer like a thermal buffer i don't know it, it probably won't be that much of a difference like all the heat is going to be going downward so i don't think there's going to be i don't think i it'll definitely make a difference but i doubt it'll be very it's, it's mostly going to boil down to how much substrate i have in there because yeah if i have more then it's gonna naturally buffer it so right. i don't know but we'll see so yeah. i'm excited for that <clears throat> uh this means that there's a now the possibility because once that that 200 court is open that'll have room for some kims <laughs> Ooh. Some baby kims oh, buddy boy but then that's that's it like i said before aggies and kims as far as far as i want to go when it comes to monitors so we'll we'll leave it at that um Quick updates. Daytona is happening. It's coming up soon. I am, in fact, going. Yep. It is now finalized. Thank it is God. happening. Uh, if you want to buy some Ladies Island corns, um, stop by Casey Cannon and Billy Hunt's table because they're going to be selling pretty much all of them. And a Dion's. There's one Dion's. So. Nice, man. Snatch it up. Yeah, I'm glad you're going. Speaking of that, remind me when we're finished and he talks to you about going up Thursday. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure that out. Yeah, we'll I, that I might. I might have it figured out. That's why okay. I talk to you. So. Word. Yep. Oh, but uh, other than that, just waiting on some beards to shed so I can start popping and figuring yeah. out what my ratios are. You with got that some clutch. lomas hatched yeah, out. Got a yeah. Really nice clutch of lomas hatched out. Nice. Dude, it's those babies come out so damn big compared to the corns. They come nice. out like twice the size of baby corn. Yeah, dude, it's it's wild. Some it's of the hefty. some of the other stuff I've seen, like your southeastern rats, compared to some of your Texas stuff, man, it's it's insane. Like even within like Pituofas, like granted, I know a lot of the Texas pits get a lot bigger than Pituofas are their own, like thing. your San Diego's and stuff. But but you see it, you see it as well too, because like with the Emory rats. Those are those are big. Those are too. Those are gonna big, be big babies. babies. Big yeah. babies. You know, like my the babies that I got from Christian, mm-hmm. huge. But like the southeastern stuff, Everglades, my Decurts, Yellows, those things were like t- tiny. I think we talked about tiny. it on Monday though, because we were talking about how like the whole IJ and Chondro egg thing. Like when you had your eggs, mm-hmm. it was a smaller snake, bigger eggs, smaller clutch. Yep. Mine was a bigger snake, more eggs, more eggs, smaller, smaller eggs. eggs. Yeah. So I think it's a similar situation. I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you definitely see the difference. Like those animals that have the bigger babies have much fewer eggs because the eggs are mm-hmm. so big. And then, you know, it's like Kankakee bull snakes versus your Texas bull snakes. Kankakees will have a boatload of eggs, but they're a lot smaller eggs versus like your Kleberg bulls. They'll have very few eggs, but they're huge. Like, yeah, I mean, those southern southern pine babies are ridiculous. Like, yeah. But like the San Diego gophers and stuff, really small. Yep. You know, they're much smaller compared to the Klebergs. Like my Klebergs, I got them a couple weeks after they hatched, and they were bigger than my San Diego's who had been feeding for a couple months. Like it's, I believe it. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but it's just cool to look at those things. I mean, man. the it's freaking fun. southern I got from Tony is like, yeah, eating damn hoppers out of the egg. Yeah, 
Like small adult mice. Yeah. Huge. She was a tank, dude. Little Debbie. Yep. <laughs> She's got that's her high her high box uh, is a Christmas tree cake thing, little Debbie. So her name just became Little Debbie because I was like, it's fitting. She yeah. just because it's ironic because she's really not that little for her, yeah. for her age. So, yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, this week we are joined by Mr. Don Kane of Ball or Nothing Pythons. What's up, buddy? How we doing, guys? Pretty good, good, man. good, good. How are you? Pretty good. Good. It's Thursday. I'm ready for the weekend. Yeah, man. One more day. Super busy day today. Felt good. Cranked out some shirts. Came home. Took a nap. <laughs> Yeah, I pretty much did the same. I cranked out some inspections this morning, working on a little MS4 list that we got at work, and came home, took a nap, was in a bad mood when I woke up, and <laughs> now we're rocking and rolling again. So, you know, on the move, ready for Friday. Here we are, smoking cigarettes. <laughs> Look, I have a pack on me in, in case of emergencies and my vape dies. Tonight, my girl wanted my vape, so I left it home. Is that what the kids call it these days? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Can I add, can I borrow your vape? Yep. No, no. Like I said, would you rather my truck smell like an no, ashtray every time we go around? I don't right? really care. Cigarette smoke doesn't really bother me. Call honestly. me, tell me I'm blowing a douche flute all the time. Then you're gonna fuck <laughs> then with me. He finally switches over. <laughs> yeah. Then you're shit about that. Then too. you're gonna fuck with me about. You know, oh. It's, it's not one thing; it's another, man. There's Jesus. no winning. There's no winning with you ever, ever. Are you drinking a bang? Uh, yes, I am. What oh God! Uh, blue Raz, but it, it wouldn't be my choice. It just—I'd stop somewhere with a limited selection. Yeah, you guys in your bangs. Bang. Yeah, I. Uh, one of my buddies that works out a lot keeps telling me to knock it off. So it's all, apparently all the creatine's not good for you if you're as lazy as I am. Oh man, hmm. it's all the all the caffeine isn't good for yeah, you. Yeah, well, that's right. It's it's so. a little. A little heart disease. It's all right. Nah, no, uh, man. No, I've it gotta... stops heart disease. No, dude. I've got. It makes your heart move faster. That's so the problem. It, it, it kills the disease. So I have a I have a heart arrhythmia. Like I ha- I get an extra extra a, beat every now and then. I wasn't a preemie. Okay, it's a family thing. Me and my dad have it. But like, I if I have a little caffeine, it's okay. You know, kind of wake me up. I'll go throughout my day. But dude, if I cross that threshold of like too much caffeine, it's like I'm sick. Like I need, I'm gonna throw up. My heart feels like it's gonna jump out of my freaking chest. Like I drank half of one of those bangs. And I thought I was gonna die. <laughs> like, yeah, it's. Uh, I I can't drink them first. Like first thing in the morning, I can't do it. It'll give me anxiety if I just crack <laughs> one of those things like right out the gate. Like after yeah. like ten o'clock or something, then I can do it. But yeah. I know that uh, that one of them is not gonna kill you because I've got a couple of employees that drink like three or four a day, and it's like, oh god, that's that's definitely not good for you. Actually, it would be this way. That guy <laughs> got that that solid nine hundred milligrams of caffeine a day, boy. Nah, hey, man. You know? <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, what we, I think what once we... you become adjusted to it, it's probably not the you know like when they're talking about the yeah. max maximum suggested. I think that's for you know uh, that's a I recommendation. That's for yeah, beginners. beginners. It's not a rule. That's a suggestion. <laughs> yeah, nothing's just good like, for you anyway. Just nah. like speed limits. Yeah, suggestion, an enforced suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm at the point where I'm. I'm physically dependent on these damn things you drink like three a day don't you yeah 
Yeah, I noticed that. I, I, I'm the same way. I'll like not quite feel a little off, you know, and then crack one, and it's like, oh, that's what I was missing. Yeah, <laughs> way better now. You, just, you can feel <laughs> it. That that first sip just seeps into your bones, and you're like, everything's right in the world for just yep. a fleeting second. Yeah, I used to drink the monsters like every day. Those like, are just every, a joke to me. Every now. morning, I would grab a monster and a pack of cigarettes, and that's what I did every day. And then like, I, I started noticing a difference with like my heart rate on a regular basis. And I was like, yeah, I think I need to cut this out. Nothing after, to do with the cigarettes. After, uh, yeah, no, nothing. No. <laughs> I quit smoking cigarettes too. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. I lived I in San Francisco, uh, when the energy drink, like craze kind of started, uh, and before the people were talking about how much you're supposed to drink it and the monster guys and the red bull guys you'd see them around town they're just hand you know give you a flat of them like you know just uh, keep passing them out <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah this can't be bad for you get everyone hooked that's how yeah. you do it it's the same thing as cigarettes man it's always cool until everybody starts dying <laughs> it's like wow maybe we shouldn't do this yeah i kind of do have a feeling that one day we're there's going to be those commercials like uh, if you consumed one or more bangs a day like <laughs> you may be entitled to compensation <laughs> exactly yeah and then i'll up. be rich hey you know somebody will <laughs> and then i'll need a kidney so if, and go ahead and start planning for this ahead of time if, if anybody's you, got a spare one i'm probably gonna need it if you or a loved one had, was diagnosed with kidney failure from drinking too many bangs <laughs> mesothelioma from bang energy <laughs> we will uh, find out yeah. yeah but anyways let's jump into this bad boy uh don if you want to tell us uh, about yourself give us the general intro you know all the However all the good want to go yeah that's up to you right, well, leave it up to y'all you can go back or as frequent as you want you can be like i'm my... do with snakes or you can be like once once upon a time <laughs> what i was for yeah we'll start uh, my reptile story starts a lot later than i really i was busy doing hunting and fishing and doing all kinds of other stuff as a kid i could have cared less to play with snakes Not a or, bad thing. you know pay any attention to them mm-hmm. I, I when we lived in missouri for a while i really liked the green snakes out there they were really cool to but i never yeah. had i never cared to like interact with them or um and then uh, as i uh once i left the house i ended up moving to the uh, bay area and um obviously a lot less space there can't keep a whole bunch of things um and i I grew up in like a farm setting so i was used to having livestock and chickens and dogs and all kinds of stuff around um and so when i moved to the city i was like what can i do here that uh, that they let me get away with you know and i started with chickens and uh yeah i growing up on a farm i was already done with chickens by the time i I, I didn't want to uh that was real short-lived yeah, I was about um, to say that's normally what you start with when you're on a farm. Like chickens are kind of like the prerequisite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you, know, you just start with and, those yeah, and then you move on to other things. Yeah, you know, like when you have a small yard and even if you can do a little cage outside or whatever, they just crap golf balls everywhere and you know they're just <laughs> they're, they're terrible. They get into all your stuff and make yeah. a mess. Um, and so I started messing around with other. Um, I bred a lot of little like finches and little hookbills and stuff oh, like nice. that, and uh, got into. Um, like sort of livestock production but with color mutations with uh, all the different species of quail and uh, i did that on a fairly large scale for seven or eight years before i ever paid any attention to snakes at all um, and that was kind of by accident a coworker of mine was on a job site and the kid had left for college and um, they had a little just regular bci uh, they'd had two of them one mysteriously died uh, they were in the same like little uh crusty exoterra um at like yearling size and so uh you know i assume neglect but i uh brought it home and i was you know i was pretty interested it was it was pretty cool i was a little bit afraid of it at first and my friend that <laughs> you know kept snakes he's kind of laughing at me he's like they just pick it up you know 
Yeah. And uh, it, I didn't really like, I, I stayed that way for a year or so. And uh, around the time I met my wife, um, I was getting tired of the flies with the birds. I was doing like, at, uh, like for the freezer, like 1200 quail a year. And then uh, producing wow. them and selling them locally for people. To, the, there's a lot of health benefits to the Caternix quail eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the, obviously in the Bay area where that sort of thing is, uh, is very fashionable. Um it, I was honestly probably making about the same kind of money I do off of uh, ball pythons. Um, <laughs> it, it just it's it's a little bit more a um, little bit more intensive, you know. As far as um, it's not like raising rats. Um, I've always raised my own rats, and that's uh, they do everything for you with the birds. Your your mom yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's 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 just a lot. There's the flies are part of it, and then um, you're constantly moving. They their life cycle is so rapid. You're yeah. Uh, yeah. It's in eight weeks. They're Keeping sexually mature and crazy. What? Eight yeah. weeks? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, they actually like, I don't, I don't know why they're not more like popular as feeders. Um, the, like We're polygenically, toward that. <laughs> they have, uh, if you check like uh, James Marie farms is like the, as Robbie Richard is the guy that owns it. He's, uh, he's kind of like the nerd of quail. Um, and he, uh, has like down to different sizes of the Caternix. So like, I know uh, button quail or something that a lot of, uh, colubrid people are interested in, but there's actually a dwarf Caternix that he's bred that, um, it's about twice the size of a button quail. So the chicks are probably pretty close to what I, I think a lot of people are looking for. Um, and you know, and then, uh, they life cycle so fast that they are fairly cheap to raise. And, uh, it's, it's the same kind of deal as rats. There's some, you know, the ammonia and stuff like that's, um, a, a deal, but, uh, they hatch in like two weeks, right? Like, uh, it's, yeah, it's like, ni- 19 days. It's oh, super quick. Yeah. And, uh, it, and when I was doing it, the equipment really sucked. If I would have known about reptile thermostats, my life would have been a lot better. Uh, oh, yeah. it, it, those little twisty, yeah. like gas filled thermostats are just, uh, they change every every incubation cycle, and so it's just there's just a lot more moving parts to it. Um, and do those have to be rotated like chicken eggs do when you incubate. Yeah, them? They have to, yeah. Have so, turner on in the. Yep. Yeah. And then if uh, it, so occasionally with quail, <laughs> some will hatch early. Like say it's just like snakes or anything else, but chickens don't seem to do it as much. But with quail, some will hatch early, and then you got these little things running around in the turners getting smashed. It's, oh that be a no! Little bit of a, yeah, that could be a little a uh, uh, little crappy. But oh uh, god, so got, I didn't even think about something like that happening. Holy yeah. shit! Yeah, <laughs> that's like terrible. And oh, and then God. there's like a two stage, so like about like about six or seven days before uh, they're done, you're gonna stop turning them. You're gonna set and take. I, I would do two forty at a time, um, and so then you got to sit and take two hundred forty eggs out and carefully place them on a paper towel um, and put them into another incubator that you keep at a different humidity. You want the your humidity is around like fifty percent throughout the uh, incubation cycle, and then when you get to towards hatch, you want to raise the humidity up like. 70 80 percent but not go any farther than that it's uh it, it's easy once you get it dialed but it's got just a lot more moving parts than uh than, yeah. you know hatching snakes we've talked about it and because i've like i've been interested yeah just in finding stuff to help take some pressure off our off the mice right. like using the mice and trying to get the colony really going and filling more tubs yeah and we had that was at one point that was something that we had sort of pont uh, like considered was quail um asfs and i don't know i'd like well, to do quail but we have something that keeps getting into the mouse shed i think it's either a possum or a raccoon and i a they're so small i don't know what the hell i could keep 
them in that would stop them from getting out when they're tiny yeah. and then be like keeping something else from getting to them well let me murdering them all let me ask this because i do have a garage now smitty you do have a garage i do have now. a garage now but it gets awfully hot in there yeah so, so like, yeah they're they're not the rats will tolerate more of a temperature range than they will um, okay that's what i was it, gonna ask because yeah, they're pretty temperature specific like where i live now thing. i couldn't raise them year round i, I could only yeah, or unless right. i did it in my rat room which i i really right. don't know why i don't but if you uh you uh there's a commercial racking system for them, kind of like, you know, Freedom mm -hmm. Reader ARS it's called uh, GQF. Mm -hmm. And uh, those GQF stacks, you can do like 150, 175 birds in like a, a four foot square. Uh, floor wow. Bank. Yeah. So, wow. Um, because they, they grow so fast and life cycle so fast. Right. That, they're not in um, there that long. Yeah. Right. I mean, and so how long most, do they live? Like from short. like. Two I years at most. Like if you okay. did, like try to take take it easy, be really careful. Give them you know good food and everything. Like two years max. And um and it where it's like chickens. You you want to eat chickens by the time they're like six months old. Quail. That's the kind of the benefit is that it, at every point during their life they taste the same. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you know if you're you don't want to yeah. you know uh, you, you don't they taste uh, just as good to you as the, you know as they do to snakes. So it's, right. it's not like rats where we just wouldn't consider eating them. That's the other problem that you're gonna have. If you start raising quail, you're gonna be like, eh, I'm gonna until we yeah, you look pretty tasty and I'm broke. <laughs> until there's nuclear war and then yeah. we have to have a difficult conversation. <laughs> okay, so well, let me ask you this: from hatching to like adulthood, I know you said they're sexually mature at what you say six weeks, about eight, eight weeks. weeks, eight weeks. Yeah. So at that eight week period, how much do they grow between eight weeks and two years? Like, is there a huge like size difference? So okay, so realistically, you could eight weeks take the... out breeders like every year or every six yep. months or so, you know, and yep. have okay. And it, if, you, every six uh, weeks. <laughs> if you're doing the color mutation thing with them, it's there's a few it's the same sort of inheritance that we have, but a lot more polygenetic effect to the uh, to messing with it, you know, like crossing the mutations. Um, you won't necessarily get uh, like a two genes expressed like you do in ball pythons, but you'll get polygenic influence from the other uh the other mutation and so right. you can you know there's a lot of uh, it's like carpet pythons there's just a million directions you could take mm -hmm. with every every clutch yeah. kind of thing but um sure. one thing that I, I i learned is uh from them that you just can't learn any other way is uh the power of selection i mean it's uh you know you can control everything from temperament to like the eggs you've seen the eggs are splotchy like brown and tan kind of colored um you can control the pigment of the eggs <laughs> like you can literally make them you it, through selective breeding in like six generations five generations you can take eggs that are all modeled and make them just all tan wow. um and vice could versa go, could you go oh, i was gonna say could you go the opposite way make them like all yep. black or like really brown yep. you know yeah it's uh it, they're they're pretty it's pretty and i mean they've been domesticated for like literally like three or four thousand years so um you know it's the the genes are it's like ball pythons kind of uh, you know they're yeah. really really muddied up and um you know they they lend themselves well to that sort of thing um very mm -hmm. you know flexible but um yeah it, when i got done with birds and i kind of uh i had that one boa constrictor and i met my wife and she had a couple of ball pythons and then we kind of fed off of each other and got a whole bunch of ball pythons and um and started so reading them so your wife was kind of more into the snakes than you were at the yeah moment. definitely definitely cool. and uh she she was uh substantially more interested and i had never even seen a ball python i had no idea but yeah. uh having just come off of 
I had with the quail, I had a uh, sort of a unique um, look that I was able to reproduce that kind of was my own. And uh, in one night, a raccoon ate like uh, 20 some odd birds of that project. And basically the entire like family, like the control groups. Um, and I couldn't, what I had left in like the oh, filial God. generations, the genes were so scattered. It was going to be like another five years to get back mm. to where I was at. And I'm like, dude, I'm done with this. Um, no, and around that no. time, that's when I kind of she introduced me to the ball pythons, and I was like, "Oh, this is uh, this is easy." And I was living in an area where right. they, you know everybody had them, and it was easy to get um, you know kind of decent stuff. So it was uh, time to change change gears, eh? Yeah, and then about three or four years ago, all the stickers and the t-shirts and, and uh, the everybody was a ball python breeder with like two or three clutches. And I'm like, man, I, I I'm looking for the next, uh, the next boat to jump on here. Cause this yeah. is like, this is not that much fun anymore. Um, and, and, you know, over time I kind of got over that and I still, I love my ball pythons, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I, they enable me to keep uh, all of the other cool stuff that I keep. And that's kind of uh, what it's become. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's kind of like Kendra and Very Jeff. Very similar to Jeff and Kendra. Yeah, I mean, they that's kind of what they do. They have ball pythons. I know Kendra was really more into the ball pythons. Kendra section. was more into snakes, period. Yeah, we've oh, been following each other on Instagram okay. for yeah. probably since like 2015 yeah. or something. And I, I remember when it was just, they just had ball pythons. Yeah. Um, and I that's, Ken- I mean, that's what a lot of us, I think, were that way and have kind of shifted yeah. over time. Mm-hmm. That's cool, man. Well, that's always interesting, though, because I like to get, and I mean, we'll talk about it here in a few, but like, that's one of the the things about guys like yourself and Jeff and Kendra, where like they've they've been in sort of both camps of like the ball python thing, and then they've had stuff outside of that. And like, what's it? I mean, I've never been really involved in the ball community at all, you know, but had a couple over the years. That's about it. Like, I don't pay attention to it. I'm super not hip to a lot of the morphs. Like, I recognize like, some when i see them but for the most part i'm like i have no idea what that is so but with you you kind of followed a similar similar route with palmetto coast because like when you first got started you were kind of a crested gecko guy and you yeah, and you yeah. use that to kind of fund all the rest of your projects so you know it's really not that far off as far as like the business aspect of right. it but you know a different species but kind of the same the same route so What's your current collection, though, in terms of ratio of balls to everything else, and sort of what you got, what you got going on? There, uh, I don't really count the babies that come and go. I do, I do about a hundred hatchlings a year, give or take, with the ball pythons. It's just yeah. I try to not do more than that. I I can hit 150 or so if I try, and I just it, I've come close to that, and it's not a whole lot of fun. I'm pretty busy otherwise, and um, so without the babies, I probably have about six to 70 ball pythons um eh, it's probably not a very good count of my whole back rack but less than 80 uh, less than 80 ball pythons we'll say that yeah. for sure and then um and i keep them in a totally separate room because uh, i keep a lot of um so my other like my cold room is uh where i have uh i, I keep a few rattlesnakes um not ain't not a whole bunch, but I keep a couple Northern Pacifics and a Speck and a Diamondback, and then um, got a lot of lot of different king snakes. Uh, you know, pair of Alterna, you know, a little bit of everything. Um, some Mexican black kings and eh, a pair of Hognose stuff like that. But I really like the uh, you know the uh, kind of the obscure pythons and boas. I really haven't gotten anywhere past carpet pythons on that uh, that note. But yeah. Um, yeah, I keep I've got a whole bunch of BCI stuff and. Um, you know, a few Morelia, 
um, a lot of sky, like a, a you know random pine snake, and um, you know just a little bit of everything. Nice. It's Amazon saw, tree boas. I was gonna say I saw some Amazons. I saw like a freaking smoking corn that looked like a ghost of some sort. Yeah, I've got a, I've got like a, I've got a few. I've, I kind of bought a lot of like uh, colubrid or started a lot of projects. The corn snakes, I'm really unfocused with. I got to kind of refine that. But um, like I've got like a, a anery diffused, a uh, couple. Pal- I, I had a couple palmettos. The mail just rolled over the other day uh, for no reason. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, it does. And uh, at least I traded for him. I didn't pay for him. <laughs> but uh, my female yeah. palmetto actually comes from a wild, uh, like an outcross pairing. So. Uh, oh, that's cool. pretty oh, cool. That's yeah. Awesome. She's, yeah. she's, uh, her grand, one of her, I think it was her grandfather was wild caught. So, um, and then, uh, I've got, uh, like just a reverse Okiti to kind of hand to people at shows and, mm-hmm. you know, that perfect pet corn snake. Yeah. Um, like, uh, I think I got a caramel Tessera. What yeah. else? Yeah, I, re- I really like that caramel Tessera. Like every shed, he gets brighter. I mean, it's dude, uh, yeah, it, comparable to like ball anything. python colors, man. I mean, it's really impressive. I love corns, like just watching them grow, man. I think they're, you know, they're a lot like poplin carpets in that way of like, you know, and in carpets in general, with each shed, they just get better and better and better. You know, like they, carpets and corns, man. They just, oh, they're so they're so fun to watch, like grow. You yeah, my first I mean? carpet like, was a caramel coastal. Uh, there you go. And uh, it, uh, I had no idea what it was going to look like as an adult, you know. And every shed, I was yeah. like, "Wow, you know, yeah. look at this, look at this." Thing yeah, Sheesh. I've got a couple that of a couple of jungles. I'm kind of every, you know, like young ones that I'm in there checking on. And did you go shed yet? Did you go shed yet? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I man, that is like one of the things though that I I do. That seems to be sort of a common running theme with a lot of the stuff that that we keep is like it starts out as like the ugly duckling and then morphs into like whereas it seems like with ball pythons <laughs> and i'm sure there's a couple morphs that are probably the exception but it seems like they start out bright and then over time they sort of yeah yeah fade it's, out it, some like it desaturates almost yeah like i posted a couple of uh um like super pastel black pastel combos the other day and they look just smoking as babies um and if you if you're not if you don't see a million ball pythons they look really cool as adults too but uh Mm -hmm. as babies they're white and gray and they have like a you know uh nice contrast to their pattern and stuff and then half of the pattern fades out but it doesn't turn white it turns kind of a mediocre gray color and uh they're all the white goes away they're kind of like a you know uh yellowy uh almost a wild type uh but a little more yellow on the sides and stuff and it just um it, it, they're great you know they make great show snakes uh, they look great in, in an enclosure but uh as adults they don't look so hot that's where the, the recessive stuff's a little better like that um yeah there you go one of those yeah, is those are got, nice yeah the coral glow one on the right will will uh stay a little nicer looking because coral glow is basically like a uh hypo mutation um i would yeah, say too positive yeah. but i know travis hates that <laughs> <laughs> travis is our boy <laughs> i use i use both terms with the bears and he's like yeah it's the same thing whatever yeah. yeah it's it's kind of i mean we you know he's uh it's good that we have him and in the uh you know in the bird world there's the they don't have a travis over there and uh it's kind of the wild west as far as uh how they you know uh call out the genes and such like and to a degree, I mean, like when I got into ball pythons, I'm like, what is a codon? <laughs> 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 yeah. What's that? 
<laughs> yeah, like, oh, incomplete yeah. dominant. Oh, okay, now I get it. Um, yeah, I was about to say, be careful with that word co-dominant. Uh, oh, man, I can't. It's, you'll ruffle uh, it, some feathers with that one. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. Like, I don't it. correct people, but I don't use I don't it. Care. People know what you mean. I yeah, exactly. It's just like the pop when IJ thing. It's yeah, like, you can say yeah. IJ, we know what you're talking about. That's the thing, man. Like, with co-dom and incomplete, it's funny because I treat co-dom and incomplete the same way I keep pop wins and IJs. Like if I'm talking to somebody and they're referring to them as IJs, I will also refer to them as IJs because I don't care. But if I'm talking to somebody, I prefer Poplin. It's like gender pronouns. If somebody yeah. prefer uses Poplin or West Poplin, I'll kind of go with that. I don't care. We all know what we're talking about. The whole incomplete and codom thing—it's like, yeah, again, just putting. Yeah, it yeah, gets. I learned like... it. Like I learned it as codominant. Like when I was coming up in the morphs, and I was into ball python a little bit, and I was learning about everything. Codominant was the term incomplete dominate was like more of the technical thing but nobody really cared about that now it's incomplete dominant and then codominant is not really the accepted you know and it's like yeah every once in a while know. somebody that's you know had snakes for a couple of years will correct me when i call a bci a red tail you know and it's like well 10 years ago people weren't so picky yeah, about it right. I mean, now they're okay, just all red tails. Like, now they're just yeah. bi's which yeah to me, exactly like, to right? me is odd like it's always yeah. been bci to me and so like to call yep. them like bi's it's i don't know it's just it, it feels weird yeah we have the ever-shifting nomenclature that you know um but it's always as, changing, man. Yeah, you know, we, we, you know, we all do kind of generally speak the same language. So, yeah, for yeah. the most part, yeah, yeah for the most part. <laughs> and, and I mean, it's not bad to be, you know, on either side of it, but like, I personally think that, like, you know, don't be don't be a stickler about it. Yeah, like, don't be annoying, like... you know, use the terms that you're comfortable with and that you agree with you know but like if somebody uses something else like it's like the the poisonous venomous not, thing when i hear someone that's not in the snake yeah. call something poisonous i don't even bother correcting it's like i know what no, you mean i don't yeah, correct exactly. them they're I not don't, gonna care either way no. right is. with that one the only thing i do with that is if somebody says poisonous and i'll be like yeah so venomous snakes are xyz you know and it's like i don't say hey it's not poisonous it's venomous you know i just yeah. use venomous instead of poisonous you know that one's a little different from the codom and you know the incomplete dominant but yeah if you want to make a sale know. at a reptile show you're not going to start a conversation with no 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 it's not codom uh, <laughs> yeah whoa 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 back, <laughs> back it up homeboy like no that's yeah it's it's yeah it's not something i correct people over but i just try to you know it's it's just try to kind of lead by example <laughs> so has it do. has it shifted though to where you initially started with ball pythons and now you've sort of ventured into some other stuff. Is it sort of, I guess we touched on it a few minutes ago, but like how Jeff and Kendra are doing it, where they still have their ball python projects and it's stuff they like. And like it's they're awesome. not just, they're, they're not just randomly balls. breeding ball pythons because it pays the bills. Like, yeah, it helps fund their other stuff, but they're still enjoying it. Like they're still, yeah. they, still they still like love animals. Their animals. Yeah. Is it, has it become uh, pretty much a, similar a lot of my, yeah. A lot of my projects I've, I've had uh, going for, you know, five or more years. And so uh, you get attached to them and you're, you know, like I, um, you can't like, it's not like carpets where you can, you know, refine a look and, and kind of excel with one gene. Um, I use pastel Enchi and GHI together as a base um for a lot of things and so um i every year i kind of i'm able to typically add another gene into that project or and it's not their show you know show like uh value snakes which uh, doesn't bother me at all i i really 
I make plenty of money providing people with mostly their first pet and mm-hmm. like new breed, yeah. new breeders with stuff that's coming up. I don't need to be the guy that's, I have some cool recessive stuff and, and in years, you know, uh, in the future, um, it's going to you know pay off a little more than it does now but it's more like i go to shows really just to interact with people and and like i said just uh you know hook them up with their first pet and then provide lifetime tech support on it so maybe we do get a real reptile keeper out of it and not just somebody that takes it home and sticks it in a tank and you know drops it off at the store in in you know six months or a year or whatever Um, i mean dude you're talking to to two guys who are most passionate about like hundred to two hundred dollar snakes, <laughs> like it's that's you know I mean I totally understand that you know well you and some your, of us are more you refined. and your cadres while I sip my fucking wine. Yeah, I've um, I've got a lot of double recessive projects kind of started, or like I've yeah. got mm-hmm. um, like the dream sickle stuff that everybody likes, those orange bites. Um, yeah. I've got a project like a, a male and a few females for that project that I'm growing up, and then. Um, I've for a few years now or a couple of years I've been producing uh, VPI exanthic albinos so VPI snows um, nice. and they're they're a pretty cool snake they a lot of people at the time when that pairing was first going down a lot it was early on and um, they were trying to make a white snake that you know they're trying to make a bell basically yeah. um, and they come out mostly white there's a shadowing of albino pattern on them but then over time any pattern they have turns to like a pretty intense yellow um, oh. And so um, I like them for that. When you start adding other pattern mutations in there, you, like pinstripe, you get um, you just get some insane looks out of it. Yeah. Um, but initially, what they were going for, um, uh, that mutation kind of whiffed, and or that combo kind of whiffed. And it's still not. It's probably one of the least valuable recessive combos today. But um, it's still something that I like to um, like to play around with. And then I kind of this year started some new double recessive projects and um you know genetic stripe clown and uh hypo clown is recessive sort of where where things are in terms of like what everyone's sort of working with and focusing on like that's it's gone that way sort of the codom stuff is like i can see why some things and some some morphs would be completely surpassed because it's like well i have this that's incomplete dominant I don't now I don't have to wait another, you know, entire other season or four years, two seasons, whatever. I can just get results right now. So it's kind of surprising to hear that recesses are kind of the the out of just, uh, you know, um, random luck. The recessive combos tend to age better um, and most recessive genes age pretty, pretty good um, compared to Kodom stuff. And so what happens is when you get uh, like if you put five genes in a snake that has banana, you have a yellow snake. Um, and it, it's, yeah. it won't look like that as a baby maybe, but it's going to look like that as an adult. And it's just easy to, it's really easy with codon stuff to add one too many and get, and just like take five steps back. Um, even if you know yeah. what's yeah, in there, like, you know, I, I, uh, traded somebody for a snake a couple of years ago. They were a newer breeder and I, I bought their ID. It looks, it looks good to me. I mean, I'm uh, actually breeding that male this year and I, I'm sure it is what they say it is. Um, but I can make that judgment from experience when they're trying to sell it at their first reptile show. People are like, I'm not paying that kind of money for that thing. Like, um, so I, you know, you, I got to obviously a smoking deal on it cause they couldn't really identify it. And, um, you know, I, you, you can get a few hundred bucks, 500 bucks tops, maybe out of something that you can't ID, but, um, right. unless you're nerd and you've built the kind of the, um, you built your brand to that point where people are buying the brand. Um, yeah. you're, you just can't, um, nobody's going to pay me for a snake that's going to turn yellow um, right, unless, right. you know, it's in that pet kind of price range. Um, and so it's, 
surprisingly, like the recessive genes have been around the longest, most of them. So I, I don't know why the craze kind of just started in the last five years, I guess, just because Justin, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Canova started doing all this stuff. Uh, you know, him and Ozzy and a couple of the big guys were making double, triple recessives. And um, yeah, it was a logical progression. But yeah, it's definitely been a shift over um, like 2015 to 2017, say it was just all codom stuff. And well, with that, so with that all said, you know, so you've been in the ball python game, you know, yeah, about, in, how long, uh, about eight years now, about eight years. So in that time frame, like how have you seen the ball python sector of things progress? Because when I was, when I was first getting into the hobby, Mojaves and albinos and some of those simple incomplete dominant base, yeah base those base yeah. morphs were still two three four hundred dollars you know like yeah, when i first got into that. things an albino was 500 bucks you know so it's like you know how have you in the last eight years i know it's been a little longer than eight years since an albino was four hundred dollars you know, so in those eight years, how have you seen things like progress with the morphs? You know, it's, it's a it's a weird market because partially it is just a supply and demand market. And so you'll right. see it, it goes up and down in, in sort of a like within a range. Um, and it, I've seen that happen, like uh, whereas like right now an albino is 250 bucks right. um, yes. and all it takes is is Canova to hit some cool combo with an albino and it'll drive the price up to 400 for the next, you know, first part of the next season or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but um, see, and I, I can understand that because of the combo aspect of it, but I'm talking like a straight albino. Well, no that's one, what I mean. No like, heads, no nothing. Uh, you know, it, it, they, the price of one gene can just get driven up by being in like uh, when Justin uh, hit the Pompeii, um, you know, and Chris on Those are Batman talks cool. about this all the time. Yeah, it was yeah. such a cool snake. It was so different than everything like black pastel, which just required, uh, you know, to the price shot up and it was just, you know, it, uh, overly inflated essentially you know i mean everybody right. that had a black pastel was throwing it out there for um you know 200 bucks more than it was worth or whatever just because you had to have it to get into that combo um and so yeah. you know that's kind of always gone on but it's what i've kind of seen since i got in was just a, a, a kind of a natural price adjustment there right. it was it was riding a, a little bit of a wave i mean it's a strong market but it wasn't what um you know the five thousand dollar codom combinations i just mm -hmm. when you know when i first started that was just unreal to me there's no way i was going to yeah. pay that when i can make it in three years you know right. um it's not like a recessive gene where you know like uh, some of these projects i've started this year like if i want to get anywhere in them i've got to buy a four or five thousand dollar mail you know in the next couple of years um yeah. and you know it's that's why it, it those snakes sell you know the the higher end snakes sell but um it's I, I'm I'm kind of content with it the way it is, and so I kind of only just pursue the projects that I I really you know enjoy. And that's really where you need to stay, man. I mean, that's that's how you stay excited about the hobby, and that's how you really stay in it, you know. Because if you start working towards things just for money, you're going to lose the interest. You know yeah, I mean? and I I see it at shows all the time. Like you see guys yeah. that um, are there just to make money, on, and it's always it's always on ball pythons. Uh, oh yeah, and I, honestly, I've seen a little resurgence of it with crested geckos lately. There's been been more crusty breeders at the shows and stuff, but uh, it, it you really do like I uh, so I actually have uh, somebody that comes and helps uh, take care of snakes on the weekend with me, and just uh, I've got a lot of snakes, and it, it, I'd like to get through it. You know the the uh, all of my spot cleaning and water replacements on Saturdays. Um, and then that way during the week, I just got to go and, and, you know, double check spot cleaning, check for eggs and, um, you know, uh, do water, maybe do waters once a week. 
Um, but I got to a point before I got someone to come help me where I was just sick of the ball pythons because it was it, the money isn't so much that it, you know, I mean, I, I, it's profitable, but it wasn't so much that it was at, at a point kind of worth the stress of uh, how many babies I was having to feed and just all the cages to clean by myself. Um, you know, and part of that, what helped with that was just diversifying my collection and getting more cool stuff that did right. interesting things. Um, I got a whole room that, that full of snakes that you walk in and there might be 12 of them moving, but they're not doing anything cool, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I walk in the back room and there's a, uh, you know, a diamondback or a colubrid. It's coming straight out to, you know, see, hey, dude, you can feed me. What's up? What are you doing? You know, something's hanging off a branch or to see a little more, you know, behavior. And and it just kind of it, it definitely re-energized me with the ball pythons. And then honestly, and I say this for anybody that's got a big collection, if, if you can afford a little bit of help, it doesn't cost me very much money. It's totally worth it. Um, and it, you're teaching somebody that that's going to go out and teach more people. And um, I, it's it's been uh, worth every bit of it. It's nice, awesome. Yeah. That is the uh, the interesting thing with with the ball python uh, community market, whatever you want to call it. That I don't really see in other pockets of things, except for maybe boas. Is like you have like the handful of of I'll call them trendsetters, I guess. You know the the kabilkas and and those other guys who produce these things and they set sort of that that new temporary standard and. I don't know. I don't see that in carpets or other sort of aspects of of species that are kept. Um, maybe corns, but even then, I feel like most of the time people are like, "Yeah, that's cool," but you don't have people that are lined up to go and and buy the you know that very line or more for animals to make it. You know, they're just. I like, would yeah, disagree cool. when it comes to corns. Carpets, one thing, but corns, I think they're almost they're about on the same level as ball pythons. If you ask me, I just mean yeah. in terms of like that. Like, I don't see people looking and seeing this, like, and I maybe I'm just not seeing it. I could be wrong. But, like, Don Soderbergh, you know, with SMR, I don't see him producing something new and then everyone, like, lining up at the door. To yeah. I look it. at it, like, with the Palmettos. The Palmettos, everybody was lining well, up that, to get the, Palmettos. That scale is, yeah, you know, those are, like, like exceptions. Yep. It's not, like, a regular thing. Like, well, yeah. So, yeah, but I, I think, think that's part of it. also cheap snakes. Part of it, I think, is visibility. Um, ball python. Most of the ball python breeders that are, you know, doing things right now, and most of the people that are that are paying attention to that are uh, so from the social media era, and um, they it's it's right in front of them. Um, I seek out corn snake people, but like you don't, there's not a lot of really popping corn snake accounts on Instagram, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it's a it, part of it is just I think the generation, like a guy who um, who I do shows with, who's kind of my mentor. He. Um, He's bred everything over the years. He, you know, he still dabbles in ball pythons, but he's mostly a, a colubrid guy. Um, and it's, you know, he posted on social media a couple of times back in the day and people kind of, you know, uh, did what people do on Facebook. And he's like, all right, well, I'm done with this. And, yeah, like, you know, like uh, 10, 12 years ago, and he hasn't, you know, posted another thing at all. And so if you don't see him at a show, you don't see it, you know. Right. Um, and so I think a lot of the corn snake world is still, you know, a lot of the guys are still from that era. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and as like, point. like JT's, you know, I mean, his Instagram's always, uh, mm -hmm. you know, um, there's always something cool to look at there. Um, and, and I, I, just, I think there's a, like, I kind of see, I think everybody's seen the, you know, the popularity of corn snakes coming back. And I bought mm -hmm. seven or eight of them in the last couple of years. Um, but it's, uh, I think it's coming back. They're coming back on like a, it might be slowly, but on a bigger level. Um, yeah. you know, we're doing pretty cool stuff with them. So, 
Yeah, there's a there's a ton of stuff going on with corn snakes, you know, and I hate to compare them to like the ball python sector of you know the hobby. Not that there's anything wrong with that, you know, but I think like corn snakes haven't jumped as much solely because they're relatively cheaper than the paywall. The ball yeah, that's python, something that person you know? I talk about is the paywall is much shorter on corn yeah. snakes. Like you want to get top tier yep. corn snake stuff, you're looking at like maybe four hundred dollars like yeah and that's the thing max. like an expensive corn snake is four to seven hundred dollars like max ball, yeah. like you know but yeah. a ball python like you're talking that's in the three to five grand range to you know? give you so, that uh that male palmetto that i had that just died recently uh, i traded two albino ball pythons for him so there you go yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so um it, i mean it, it's and it's funny because i i uh, immediately it was kind of drawn to the palmetto mutation. And then I'm, I'm looking at it now after like, a, you know, you, I spent a good amount of time looking around and I'm like, so this is it kind of, <laughs> so yep. we can change yeah. the color of the spots and that's what we can do. Yeah. And you're, and you're rolling the dice on trying to, you know, add more pattern or, you know, if somebody can crack the code and get more pattern into them, then I, I think it'll blow up a little more of that. But I see the palmetto kind of being what the, the blue eyed leucistic is for ball pythons, that entry point yeah. for people exactly. like our shows in California are a little bit, uh, skewed because people tend to have a, a you know whether they actually have the money or not people tend to have some pocket money to spend at the shows and so um yeah. like palmettos out here are going for like 600 at shows and um uh, they're getting it pretty regularly mm -hmm. so yeah. i mean it's kind of you know and we do the same thing with the blue-eyed leucistics they you know uh, everybody walks around they're like oh is it 500 a day or 400 <laughs> uh, yeah there's and, just something you know, about a white snake man and it's yep. That and will it, never not be popular. And you ask yeah. a lot of the corn breeders, like snows are always there's like we just talked with Eric Westmoreland. Yeah. He's like, I can't keep snows on my tables. He's like, people yep. want snows. Like that's going crazy. Like white snakes for some reason, people want them. And I've never I I get it to an extent. White snakes are cool or whatever, but like that whole aspect, like me, I'm more of a ground tone guy. So I like the darker colors, you know, I like grays and it's tough blacks. And so like, I don't really get that aspect of it, but like for me, when it comes to ball pythons versus corns, it's hard to wrap my head around the price differences because like ever since switching from, I didn't, I didn't switch, but from keeping more carpets than anything, you know, to keeping more colubrids than anything, Glubrids are a lot more expensive to upkeep. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like they eat a lot more. Granted, oh, yes, yeah. they eat smaller items, but they eat a lot. You know, you have to keep them rolling. They shit a lot more. So it's like there's a lot more that goes into the glubrids, yep. but yet they're so much cheaper than your ball pythons. And like, I don't, I don't really understand that aspect to it, but you know, I'm not, I'm not in this for money. You know, I just, yeah. like my, I like my snakes. I keep more less than hundred dollar snakes than anything else you know so it's that's just me because i enjoy them but yeah you know there's so much more that goes into them you know it, it's kind of it's kind of wild i have uh probably 35 colubrids and they it's like substantially more work than yeah. <laughs> than feeding the ball so much bones. more uh so much more <laughs> and i i'm on the um sort of the i don't you know uh, some people call it old school some people say we just came up with it but i don't feed yeah. my pythons and boas anywhere near as much as most of the hobby no. does like you will not no. see an obese ball python in my room i uh, if if so it's an accident and it was just yeah. you know she just converted food too well that season and i just need to back off um you know it, it so i basically don't nothing in my ball python room the babies get fed about every seven days um and that's like 
a lot of times it's 10 um, once they're a stat, once they've had three meals. Um, and then with the adults, it's two weeks at, at best. And I also, on top of that kind of cycle feed to um, same kind of way Ben Russo, you know, does, I don't, yeah. uh, I do it when it's convenient for me, but I create spring by just, you know, making a food drought yeah. and then uh, for four weeks in a row. And it, this is where I wish a lot of ball Python breeders would grasp this. Like as far as weight goes, like, for four weeks or maybe six weeks in a row at most i feed once a week and the rest of the year that snake only eats at most every two weeks but um just doing that flips the switch and and uh and they'll go for you if they're gonna go um and, and it also you know um i a lot of people like to breed ball pythons all throughout the year i like to have a couple clutches kind of come in here and there but for the most part i want to get all it all out of the way when the weather's uh yeah. we, we have a section of the year where it's just too hot to be outside during the day much and so i want to get all of the baby maintenance out of the way when i'm stuck inside yeah. in the air conditioning already um, you know i never really thought about it like that but that makes perfect sense you know like the during your summer months because you know that's a big thing with corn snakes is like you know guys who keep an extensive amount of corn snakes like vms you know they're yep. they 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 have two different you know sections of breeding you know but that's because they have you know in, indoor cooling yeah. you know like it's year-round production you know but i never really thought about you know during the hotter months that's when you want to be taking care of your babies because it's hot and there's nothing really else to do. So you can go take care of your animals. And so I, uh, I also for food availability, it works easier in the, like I, uh, I've, I do uh, lately. I've, I've, uh, had a swamp cooler go out recently. So, uh, my rat production went down quite a bit. Um, yeah, it wasn't so great, but, uh, yeah. normally it's easier for me to produce at max volume during the warmer months because I can cool the room to a more sustainable temperature, um, than, you know, what I can heat it to, uh, without spending an arm and a leg in the wintertime. So my wintertime, my production drops to like probably like 60, 70%. Um, and that works out anyway, cause I cut off feeding a lot of stuff. Uh, like I, um, I generally, I, I, even though I haven't, uh, I only breed ball pythons and I've, I've got the next year I'll be able to breed King snakes, uh, cow Kings, but, um, I still put down most of my colubrids for the winter time. Cause why not? Um, yeah, you know, and it, it just, uh, that way it's food available you know, it just makes my rodent breed. I, you, rodents are the hardest part about, yeah. um, you know, no, I, that's the, I, like last year when I was cooling everything down, I was like, this is perfect. I can start loading up and I didn't plan enough like i didn't plan for to load up on you know older mice to feed the adults when they bring them out of cooling like so this time like this year when things start going down i'm definitely gonna be more try to plan ahead better than what i did because yeah. that is like the perfect opportunity to really get the freezer full and you know it just I, it was frustrating because i was like why why did i not i loaded up on like i loaded up on pinkies and smaller stuff for the babies yeah yeah, but I did not load up on the older stuff for the older animals. Yeah, and I made the mistake a couple of years. I let up. I had my freezer filled up, and I was like, oh, I'll just kind of back off. And I did it at the wrong time of year. And uh, then you know, it's you guys know what it's like when you have this many snakes to go buy them. <laughs> it's mm. uh, it's not pleasant. No, no. My last uh, rodent pro order was about nine hundred bucks. Yep. So yeah, that last was about a month that yeah that that was uh that was a kick in the nards for sure everybody in our group everybody was sending like four you know two to four hundred dollar rodent bills they're like oh fuck and i'm like dude that's woo, i can't imagine I wish, uh i, I wish listen, 
I listened to Colubrid and Colubrid Radio today, the recent episode. I mean, yeah, and, uh, I'm going to listen to that tomorrow. Matt was yeah. saying that he has uh, like 700 uh, pinkies and fuzzies defrosted in his, uh, you know, or maybe it's 500, but that's, you know, that's oh, 700 bucks worth of pinkies and just it, and fuzzies in your, uh, in your kitchen all at one time, you know? And if you're doing that even every two weeks, that's, uh, that hurts. Golly. I had uh, my racks flooded out when I first moved up to this area. I uh, was stupidly using a float and a hose. And uh, of course, it managed to flood every rack. And I not only created a small uh, invasive rat population that I had to deal with, I uh, killed most everything else. And it was just uh, devastatingly expensive not to replace the rats, but to feed. Uh, it was right in the middle of, I was, you know, maybe uh, two, three months away from most snakes cycling. And so I was like, you know, got to keep feeding, feeding, feeding. And all my rats are gone um and so that was uh, like uh one week i spent like eight or nine hundred dollars um you know because and that's the other thing about pythons and boas right is you don't get to you're not buying pinkies for long um you know you don't like i don't i start my ball pythons out on like a chunky rat fuzzy um and so it's uh you know the food the food bill goes up quick that way but like you were saying earlier um i feed that other room uh it seems like way more money than i feed my ball python room yeah, uh, at least way more, uh, way more frequency. Death I, by a thousand I, cuts. Now I'll tell you, man. So one thing I did with my last order is like I added up a lot of prices for stuff. You know, like what's eating medium rats versus you know the jumbo mice. And after doing a little bit of math and looking into the prices of everything, two extra large mice is cheaper than one medium rat. So a lot of the stuff that I would or and then with that large quail are also cheaper than a medium rat. So a lot of the colubrids that were eating the medium rats Rico. got switched. Yeah. Rico, Rico. Yeah, he only eats one, but you know, my pituophis that are big, you know, they needed that medium rat sized, yep. you know, animal. They get two extra large mice instead of a medium rat. Cause yeah, it's only a couple cents cheaper. Like it might, it's less than a dollar cheaper for two extra large mice versus a medium rat. But that little bit, goes a very long way when you're feeding several snakes you know so i really tried to add up you know my cost you know, like all my carpets that were on medium rats got switched to large quail because it's that you know 30 50 cents being cheaper economical. you know and nope. that's it, that that little bit goes a long way when you're doing this type of stuff you know the stuff now the only stuff that eats rats for me is stuff that will only eat rats, which is one animal. She doesn't want anything but rats, which is fine. So I got medium rats just for her, but everything else got switched to either two extra large mice or a quail. And it's easy when you don't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That yeah. does make life a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, the guys that who I don't envy food bill wise are the, you know, people doing a lot of pitch office on a, uh, any kind of a big scale. Cause like I have, I have one like six foot Northern pine snake and he'll eat two medium rats in a week and you can't see the, like, oh, the bumps and like he doesn't, yeah. he's, he's a food machine, you know? Yeah, uh, dude. and it's even, um, you know, like uh, really big California king snakes get to where they process food really quickly, but nothing like that. Like a, like a pit, man, they're, they're crazy. Yeah. Yeah, no, you gotta great. wonder how much they eat in the wild, especially like the yeah. bigger stuff, like the northerns and the the southerns. And yeah, that's why with like the big stuff, I'm trying to like keep it to a minimum. You know, like I love my pituophis. If I could have a room full of pituophis, I would. But they eat so much that it's like I, I can't really do that. You know, all my adults yep. are uh, most of my adults luckily take mice, so they're all getting too 
frozen thawed extra large mice in a sitting once a week, which sustains them. You know, a lot of people are feeding like these super big items and pituophis are, you know, burrow invaders, you know, like they'll go into a nest and eat everything in sight, you know, but it's the size of a quarter, you know, like it's, it's <laughs> small stuff. 25 fuzzies. Exactly. So, so you know, those uh, multiple smaller items do really well for, you know, pits, but it's also still a lot of food. You know, there's an area where we herb for or a couple areas run. And, um, I live in a, a unique spot cause I'm at the top of, uh, like a very large Valley that basically takes up the whole middle of California, but I have a, uh, different mountain ranges within a, you know, hour drive, either direction or half hour drive. Um, and uh, alongside one of those mountain ranges in the foothills, there's a, a lot of uh, California kangaroo rats. The population's really big. Mm. And over there, the gopher snakes, they get pretty big. I mean, like um, yeah. I've seen, uh, I haven't actually, I, I never find decent sized ones alive, but um, I've seen some DORs that could easily eat a ground squirrel. Um, wow. And for Pacific gophers, you know, like five, five six feet. Um, that's you say I've never seen a six footer. A lot of people have, you know, shown me ones that they say are, but uh, like I do uh, if for my county, I'm kind of the, for the county wildlife rescue. I'm the snake relocation guy and I do rattlesnake relocations whenever I have time. But, uh, I, you know, being the snake guy, you get like in my name's all, numbers yeah. all over Facebook, you get pictures sent to you. And uh, somebody sent me a picture of a gopher snake a couple of years ago that uh, had clearly eaten six full size chicken eggs uh, in one sitting. Uh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, and you could count every one of them going down it. It was it was great. Um, but yeah, they when they get to uh, you know when they get really big, I'm sure they're you know they're eating like you know like that like you know whatever they can uh, fit down. Um, but like where we were, I was herping in the Great Basin a couple of weeks ago, and um, substantially smaller prey size, substantially smaller pits. I actually. Um, I started a little locality project from the gophers over there because uh, there's an inter uh, not a, a small intergrade range, but there's a, a kind of a neat intergrade range between the Great Basins and the Pacifics. And I found a nice little, very uh, you know tame, stable little female um, neonate that I brought home this last time. So very nice. try to yeah, I got to get a permit before I get a male uh, in case fish and wildlife's watching um, yeah. out here. They're they're present all the time. Uh, just a uh, it's probably been six months now, but they raided somebody at the show recently. Um, yeah, they do undercover. Like the guy was going around the day before. I talked to him. I, I didn't have anything illegal to sell, so I was just fine. But uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he was, you know, dressed like a basketball player that just got out of the gym one day and he came back in a bulletproof vest the next day. So, no, uh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Gotcha, yeah, they uh, they crazy. seized a whole bunch of uh, poor. You know, the guy had some really cool diamondback stuff, some patternless, and um, you know, some uh, bubble gum and had yeah. bubble gum stuff, and um, unfortunately lost all that. Wow, yeah, yeah it sounds like Billy Florida's yeah, cracking down on Daytona this year because Billy was Billy Hunt, our buddy, was talking about how like Fish and Wildlife will go in there, and if you don't have a list of kind of proving that these are your animals you produce them or where they came from whatever like if you don't have proof that they are yours they're confiscating everything you have yep. like it's he said he saw at the tampa bay show i believe mm -hmm. he saw a guy get his entire table confiscated because he didn't have yeah, a proof or a list of anything too. and i think it was actually a guy that was selling his like his entire collection just to get yeah, out. yeah like and he, and he lost like, it dang. like it was confiscated because he didn't have paperwork to show where everything came from or that he produced it xyz like it was you know and it was to me it seemed like kind of simple stuff you know because we sell things that 
we didn't produce, you know, every couple yep. of years, you know, if we need yeah. to get out of something, you know, but like, wow. So like it, it technically and, and legally you're safe to breed morph California king snakes in California mm -hmm. and not have to have a permit. Um, morph. You know, I, morph. Yeah, morph. <laughs> um, and yeah. so, but um, I have a friend of mine um, who's had a, uh, a little run in with fishing game before um maybe had some stuff he wasn't supposed to have uh just boas in a city that doesn't allow boas but um so he's not big on fishing game and he had a super high white california king snake on his table and uh he had just got it in a trade and was you know was reselling it and uh fishing game had way too many questions about a snake that was bright white with like five little black dots on it um, and so he gave it to me and then didn't tell me that until like the next show we were doing together and he's like oh yeah by the way <laughs> uh oh, God. so it, it's and and i run into that herping a lot um yeah. california's fishing game i'm sure they have their officers that know what they're doing but um like we got stopped by a fishing game a couple of years ago and the, for they i think at one point they actually asked if we had like cobras or anything you know at home like they really had no idea what we were allowed to have um i said we were out looking for rattlesnakes and the guy almost flew back to his car <laughs> um and, and and these are you know this is fishing game they're out looking for poachers um yeah right you know and it's it it's always fun to explain to the law enforcement at 3 a.m while you're walking around like a drug addict on the side of the road with a flashlight but yeah um yeah. at least fishing game kind of gets it you know um mm -hmm. but they they really don't seem to be uh you know very well educated on on you know uh what we can and can't have sometimes yeah, um, until they show up at a show and take a bunch of stuff yeah exactly that's kind of what's annoying about them and it's like i'm a very big advocate of the dnr fishing game like whole thing like i'm all i'm all for it but it's also very frustrating when somebody that's only educated in the wild sector of things because most of them are you know like yep. my background is in wildlife management like i know how a lot of these dnr guys think and me being a captive sector keeper you know, I kind of get that side of it a lot more than others will, you know, but like those guys that are, you know, they're, they work fish and game, DNR or whatever. They're educated in the wildlife section of things, which is great, but there, there's a huge gap of the captive sector that y'all are missing and you're not understanding so like there needs to be a lot more education on that side of things with these with these entities you know and, and i think a lot of the states just i mean florida's laws might be restrictive and um you know and it's it takes a lot of time and it's probably unfortunate for people that didn't i don't know how that all went down if people were grandfathered in or anything like that but um it, there does kind of need to be some structure uh, on a state level if they're going to try to you know uh, improve their enforcement or anything like yeah, that because um it, it's i i see why they're there like there's a yeah. guy local to me that um and i you know a couple of my friends that are into reptiles here got the same uh the same kind of message and it's like hey man you want an alligator we can't have those here uh <laughs> you can't even get a permit to have those here uh yeah. and not only that it's like you know the kind of guy that, that that was asking if I wanted an alligator is not the kind of guy that can even, you know, safely keep a ball python alive. Um, oh, and so God. I'm like, Oh yeah. God, you know, and I, um, it luckily the news story didn't go too far, you know, but this guy's riding around with a three foot baby American alligator in his car. And who knows if it's even a baby, it was probably just a dwarf, you know, not taken care of. Um, and then he gets, you know, uh, shows the wrong person or something or gets pulled over and now it's right. fish and wildlife's coming out to take it and it's on the news. Right. And, you know, um, it, it so there needs to be some kind of 
structure to what they're doing um here we have like some really arbitrary laws like um i am allowed to be a snake relocator by my fishing license alone and by the lack of wording basically it says that like i'm allowed to take certain animals and um it doesn't say like how like if you know i can basically release them immediately afterwards somewhere else there's no restrictions to how you release or anything like that um and i feel like maybe maybe they left that there kind of so people like me could uh help out a little bit uh yep. but there's no structure to it whatsoever and it, it you know then it leaves you in a questionable place with law enforcement if you have to you know if you're caught in the middle of doing it or you know um and then for years and years you could uh breed atrox here and nobody said anything about it and now they're just cracking down on everybody that's breeding atrox and um you know, like that, that guy, he's a really nice guy. It's uh, unfortunate they took his whole collection, you know, and he had like 40 Aatrox. And it's like, well, whether it was the law or not, they completely disregarded it for 25 years. Um, and now they chose to enforce it. So yeah. right. um, they just, you know, and most states have their kind of their stuff like that. You know, there's the oddball states that you can't keep native species or, um, right. you know. And, it, like for, for that stuff, though, like I understand it to an extent, like with the whole native species thing. But like, I think it should be taken species by species. Like, OK, look at which ones are protected, which ones are low in numbers, you know, stuff like that. Aatrox, there's not a shortage of yeah. Aatrox We don't even anywhere. have them here and I could throw a rock at my front door and probably hit them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Know, like, exactly. There's, there's not a shortage of Aatrox. So it's like. Do you do something to kind of help the species out of whole in the captive sector? Sure. Do you confiscate somebody's entire collection because of it? No. I'm like, sorry. That's the, that's a load of crap. Like the issue with that is like especially with what we have in South Carolina now in terms of native species laws, like they don't have the time or the funds right. to go and do surveys in different parts of the state for each right. species to dictate that. Like they're just going to pretty much be like, yeah, this is we got to do something. Yeah, we just we might as well. We don't know what the status is of of black razors and corn snakes. But that's the thing; it doesn't. A lot of those things are already in place, like in South Carolina. And this is because you know I went to school for wildlife management. You know, there's not a lot of snakes in South Carolina that are protected. You know, you have the indigo snakes that are low in numbers. You have the pine snakes, which are low in numbers. You know, but like as far as rat snakes, corn snakes you know garters stuff like that everything there's else really yeah. not there's <laughs> not like a a shortage of them really anywhere corn snakes maybe i can understand corn snakes more because of how popular they became in the captive sector you know especially the okati corns from our state okay i understand that but like not every not every other person is out here collecting these dirty yellow rat snakes like yeah it's not like nobody really cares i do uh, but you know, it's, it's not like the cow king thing where the localities right. were the morphs and people just raided the spots yeah. and then they were it's all really accessible stuff right outside of right. a lot of it's paved over now. But, you know, I mean, it's you're, you know, 45 minutes from Los Angeles in any direction, you'll you know, you'll find some different look or different morph. And I could see them protecting stuff like that. But like. Right. So here we have the San Francisco garter, which is obviously endangered species and, and completely hands off. And um, it, it's just redate like in you know in europe that that species is in great shape because uh they're breeding them like crazy yeah. um and i lived for you know i mean I, most of my career went down in the habitat of the san francisco garter and we are paving over it at an alarming rate it's not it yeah. will not be saved um yeah. and then yeah. we keep also, them, you're the problem 
right exactly and then we've got the zanata here the california mountain kings and um they're protected too and uh, partially i think that was because they were uh, they were smuggled pretty heavily uh, and but it's just we can have one <laughs> and then there, there's people you know in other states breeding them uh, you know like yep. multiple pairs and you know no uh, no restrictions but when you're out in the habitat like zanata are just hard to find and mm-hmm. they're not really rare we have so much zanata habitat left it's it's uh you know i mean it's it's habitat that you can't put a house on it's all vertical right. they and, can't use you know, it so yeah and so it, it's sort of like it's kind of silly that that those are protected the way they are because nobody ever sees them the, i mean like the, if you look at iNaturalist, like it's people it's not snake people i look for them all the time i never find them uh it's people that see them camping on accident and that's it yeah. you know i mean they're they're super cryptic snakes um but you know they they feel like they need to protect them and you know like i said we can we can have one um, yeah. and no breeding or anything like that yeah like i said i think it's it's 100 percent time and funds and manpower to actually survey these things and even if they had that i don't know that they'd take the time or, or spend the money to do it it's just not it's it's important to them but it's not that important yeah i feel know. like it, not, it gives it gives them a foothold in that habitat too like the you know it gives the government a little extra yeah. control of that habitat and if it's in national forest area it's kind of you know i feel like it just it's it's a foot in the door for them to one day say well this area is closed mm-hmm. um and and that's they they we don't have anything that's really closed but they closed all the gates uh you know 30 40 years ago here and uh it really cut off people from a lot of uh national forest that we you know you, if you want to see it now you walk to it right and so that's that's kind of I, I I don't think that's any time on the horizon, but still it's I, I can't see any other reason why they'd want to control Zanata like that. Mm-hmm. Did you see Kaufman's ball python video? I did. I did. What um, you think I, about it? I I on the whole I liked it. You know, I mean I wish and I I'm I'm understand that he I'm sure had a lot of constraints with how he was able to travel and where and, and getting out in the you know actual field. Uh, but as somebody who spends as much time out in the field as possible, I I would have liked to see more of that. Um, mm-hmm. I was surprised by the habitat. I, I think most of us were. You know, it's uh, a lot greener than any of us uh, yeah. expected from what we thought was a desert python. Um, and so um, I don't think it changes. I mean, realistically, we're not working with the same animal anymore. Um, so I don't think it changes much about the way we keep them. But I think it's it's definitely a good, you know, enlightening thing for uh, people to see and there's been a lot of negative videos that came out over the years so this is a little bit of a you know a realistic look into what what the society there is doing with ball pythons and how it affects them if we change the way that we um you know purchase them from them or um mm-hmm. you know i mean essentially they are going to go back to you know it, it's, it's going to impact their economy if we change the way we do stuff yeah um you know i i think it's also it's it's really interesting that that uh that strip of of africa has so many mutations um mm-hmm on the whole i mean that's just crazy it yeah, makes you I wonder mean, it was, too it was those i mean like body tone wise and stuff what he found was like i don't it seemed perfect yeah yeah um they really like i i try to you know my females after they lay look a lot like um you know that not quite as as haggard as the one he was holding you know kind of stretched out mm-hmm. um but they you know they look fairly deflated and and uh you know that's i mean you figure those snakes are mo- universally almost it seems like ball python breeders do not go in their snake room at night uh when you go in your snake room at night your ball pythons are awake searching the cracks all night and so um even i 
you know, go back and forth and like, man, I'd like to give more space in this, you know? Um, yeah. And so, you know, obviously there, I, I was certain they were a lot more um, active than what we say they are. Um, and, you know, but I think it was a great look into, you know, into um, the real world, the ball pythons over there. And it was cool that he found, you know, a, a pretty off the wall looking, you know, it's a normal, but um, still had a neat pattern and everything. Yeah. Uh, it was neat to see the sort of the color variation between the, you know, the areas he was in. And uh, I don't know. I talked about it briefly on, on snakes and stogies uh, on Monday. And I don't know, like it was, I enjoyed it. I liked watching it. I liked the sort of the, you know, I don't have much of an interest in, in balls, but seeing the, the natural history of them and where they're coming from, like that does interest me. Like I do find that interesting. Yeah. Um, I think, he spent a little too much time on the whole market thing and that whole yeah. deal. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I wasn't but... super happy with the way he, uh, sort of, you know, it's, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm a really non-judgmental person of people's lifestyles. I spent a lot of time in like in Mexico when I was younger. I love it down there. Um, and it, it's just a different lifestyle than yours. Yeah, and so it's, it's it, a they're just, thing. um, yeah, there's to bring your judgment is kind of, is not necessary, but, he he's also and I, I don't I mean I, I think Dave's doing a great thing in the reptile world. I just he's he's speaking Absolutely. to a certain a certain group of people, you know, and um I think in that uh that portion of it he kind of was speaking to his a certain section of his audience more so than you know a right. serious herpers. Yeah. Um but yeah, I was just I felt like it was a little bit tone deaf to, Yeah, uh, that that to me it sounds you know, I, I haven't watch the whole thing yet i i am beyond busy right now between work and reptiles so i haven't had a lot of time to look at youtube and stuff but you know from what i'm gathering from this like that section of it kind of you know it seems like he was more so talking to his audience versus the cultural the you know like you said it's a cultural aspect you know it's like i'm sure you know people down here we hunt deer like it's nothing I'm sure there's somewhere, some in some part of the world, there where they're like, "You kill those things? Like, what are you doing? You know, like it's it's a cultural aspect. You know, like those people have to survive. So if they eat ball pythons to survive, like a lot of it was like you kind of have to get over it. Like, I'm sorry, but it's yeah. The way I explained it to Phil was like, if I'm going to another country, regardless of where it is. Uh, especially if we're talking something more on the third world side, like I fully expect exactly. to see stuff that I'm not going to be yeah. terribly comfortable with, but it's like, that's, that's because that's you're from America, like, you know, like we're from a very, I don't even know what the world, what the term would be, but you know, urbanized section of the world, you know, like America is very modern, you know, whereas, you know, you go to some place like Togo or Ghana, it's, it's the exact opposite. So we're, yeah, we're really out of touch with our food here. We don't. Exactly. Um, we're we're completely disconnected from our food. I've uh, I was raised to kind of raise at least some of your own meat, um, and mm -hmm. you know, like processing the quail for years on end. We draw really weird lines with what's okay. Uh, my wife used to sell <laughs> like socialized pet rats when we lived in the Bay Area, and there was a huge market for them. Um, people were paying uh, way too much money for a rat. Um, but a lot of college kids got them for projects. And, um, one of the girls that I think she was a Berkeley student, um, she essentially taught a rat to read index cards and it would get up on top of this little pedestal when she would hold up the up card. And then it would get down when she'd hold up the down card and take treats off from another card. Um, and we feed those to our snakes. 
And so, <laughs> and, and then later we draw these arbitrary lines, like, oh, it's not okay to use ball pythons as feeders, or, um, you know, like you, you yeah. can't eat this yeah. or you can't eat that. And it's like, well, you just fed something that can read to your snake. So maybe we shouldn't throw stones. Yeah. And that's, just, it's funny because I've actually thought about reproducing normal ball pythons as feeders. You know, because yeah, like yeah, it sounds so you know wrong. Like the King to, Cobra guys are happy. Yeah, two people that keep snakes, but there are plenty of guys that keep snakes that need snakes for feeding. You know, like there's plenty of guys that breed anoles that wouldn't dream of feeding off one of their anoles, but rat snake guys would kill for a bag full of frozen thought anoles to get their rat snakes going. You know, so it's like, can we really? judge that much you know like <laughs> totally i'm I, i'm kind of this I, like the first time i had to feed a house gecko to an alterna i was like i don't know about this <laughs> uh, right. but it, it's just it, we we draw the line and and so it's it's kind of us putting it in in a place where maybe it doesn't necessarily belong but like i right. i made a stupid mistake with my incubator uh, a couple of weeks ago and one of my king snakes a couple of my king snakes ate 500 ball pythons for dinner um and ah, yeah, I wasn't ah, very, I, I, my heat tapes in the back and I have, it's, you know, yeah. a typical mini fridge incubator with fans blowing in it. And I, uh, put a clutch in there and I turned, um, I turned a, a cut a clutch that had, uh, already pipped and been cut sideways up against the heat tape in the back and blocked the fan Ooh. at the same time. And, uh, it was, it was oh, all bad. Man. So um, toasty. yeah, I lost a bunch of visual pastel and super pastel clown stuff there. Um, but you know at the end of the day it's and i like when i'm at a show i will absolutely make sure somebody that i think is responsible and going to take care of a snake takes one home right you know like my i made these prices up um and i i have 80 some ball pythons they uh, they're all the same snake you know i mean it's they they have a little you know a little individual personality here there but um the prices are arbitrary and so you know i try to try to remind myself that all the time. It's like, yeah, it's, it's still a $25 normal ball Python underneath all that. Right. right. Yeah. But it, they didn't go to waste like that. No, exactly. Yeah. Like, at least uh, they went to something. They didn't just go in the yep. garbage or the freezer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like people, um, you know, there's, uh, I won't go too far into it, but there's a, a breeder, uh, mentioned a new morph and, you know, something related to culling with the project to kind of, uh, you know, and if people interpret it as possibly, him killing ball pythons for no reason but um at the end of the day humane euthanasia is humane euthanasia and it really doesn't matter what the purpose is um people do it to dogs at two or three years old that are going to have hip problems for life you know just to avoid the dog having problems Mm. um you know if the animal doesn't know it's uh you know you're as long as you've done it humanely um it's again it's just where we've placed the line and so i have no problem with people using ball pythons as feeders they uh, make great feeders Um, no they do and it's a fan there's a there's a market for it you know like i see guys all the time that are posting about like hey if you have any snakes that passed away in your freezer let me know like i have king cobras that need snakes you know and if you look at things like that like i think you know stuff like indigo and any of the you know the dry Marcon, uh you know genus they i think that's a lot more important than a lot of people want to believe, you know, like, you know, but and it's proven with King Cobras. Like if you have King Cobras, you need to have some type of diet of snake. Yes. They're yes. You can supplement rodents, you know, at some points, but like you have to realize their natural diet is snakes in the wild. And I would hope unless, if someone's keeping King Cobras, they would realize that. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. Like exactly. if, if you want to, 
you know, extend the life of your snake, you can't feed it rats every two weeks, you know, like let's get to kill it prematurely because they're so fatty and that's not what their system is meant to handle, you know? So it's, I have a friend that keeps a, a few Alterna and he, he breeds them every, uh, every couple of years. And, um, his Alterna look fantastic because he, he catches bluebellies all the time, you know, just little, uh, Western fence lizards to feed them. Yeah. Um, and they look great. They don't look like, uh, you know, it's, uh, African house snakes do kind of the same thing. It seems like Alterna get those like fat deposits and like, looks like little lumpy. fat rolls all down their side. Yeah. yeah a little lumpy yeah. look. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, uh, Lasseter, John Lasseter, who's kind of, I mean, he's who I ask anything King Snake related. Um, he mentioned it in a podcast. Um, it's just that they're not, they're not made to eat rodents and they don't, yeah. um, you know, you've got to take it easy on them if you're going to, you know, you got to really feed a specific diet to them if you're going to feed them rodents to make sure that you're not giving them too much fat all the time. Um, you know, but yeah, I think, rep, yeah. you know, reptile, it, it's just, uh, like with the California King Snakes, um, you know, it's, it, it, they don't, suffer from uh you know a regular rodent diet um and apparently uh they can get kind of you know hooked on on snakes a little bit um but i i I can't see it as being bad to feed them you know uh, feed them what they're designed to eat i mean uh, yeah and it's and it's but like with cow kings or like king snakes in general i think with them there's difference. There's a difference. They're between, not an obligate. Like, they're not an obligate reptile. Right. Feeder. They're, you know, they're, like yeah. they're more of a I'll eat anything like whatever pet crosses my path. I'm going to chomp it down, whether it be a snake, lizard, rodent, whatever, you know, like and that's kind of different from a snake where most of its diet is other reptiles you know like yes yeah, yeah like there's a uh, the long nose snakes that we have here in the desert um mm-hmm. they are just smoking i mean there's no absolutely no so way that pretty. they wouldn't be in the hobby if they ate yeah. something besides lizards and it's just yeah. that you're not going to get them to eat something different i mean i'd i'd love to think that one day i'll find a you know a little patch of them that are feeding on rodents and i can bring one home but uh it just you know i mean they're they're pretty savage lizard eaters so if you don't have a uh you know a source for them it's going to be you know, you know a hardship to find them i think there's still I think one there's a, i think there's a lot of snakes out there that people don't keep solely because oh, yeah. they will only eat lizards you know Leaf like, snakes yeah and it goes yeah. to you know like you see people that have all the feeding problems with this species or that species and it's been you know said a million times but it's not that the snake has a feeding problem it's that we're not feeding it what it eats and exactly. um, so if, we have a feeding problem yeah exactly <laughs> like we, we want to feed everything european yeah. rodents and that's not what they eat uh and even um like i don't have the, kind of the, a lot of problems with the ball pythons but um part of that is i i selection pressure i i absolutely will not breed anything that does not eat on its own it's the most basic behavior that a snake can perform and if it won't do it like there's certain that you know some of the the less domesticated species that people work with that's all you can do like you know like blackhead pythons and stuff like that like the, you know they uh, a lot of those species they pretty much have to assist feed them because you're you're on a time clock and um you know we don't have the right prey item that's gonna you know set them off and so um you're kind of stuck with it, but like with right. ball python, there's so many ball pythons in the world. There's absolutely no reason to limp one along as an assist feeder and then breed it later. Um, because it's, I mean, if you look at ball pythons from the nineties where you couldn't keep them alive cause they wouldn't eat to now what happened? We kept all the ones that ate rodents readily. And now that they're worth money, people, I see people just doing atrocious stuff. I mean, breeding snakes that, that they're palpating, uh, bowel movements out of for like a year and then because it's expensive they're breeding it it's like well not touching your stuff um you know and and the same thing with feeding but we've you know and hognose are are a good example of that too we've conditioned them to eat rodents um you know they they're not 
uh, you know, I'm sure they'd love frogs, but uh, we can't can't do that easily and and you know uh, dodge the whole parasite aspect right. of it. So, but I feel like you know hogs are almost the perfect example of that. You know, like there's a reason that it's 90% Western hogs in yep. our, yep. in our More sector because yeah, or 95 to 98% Western hogs because like Westerns are the only ones that can live their whole lives readily off rodents and yep. be relatively okay. You know, like Easterns. Yeah, sure. You can get them on rodents, but to me personally, I've never seen an old Eastern hog in captivity because you know and that you still see a lot of them at all yeah and you know i know plenty of people that keep them you know like kevin fisher does amazing things with eastern and southern hog noses he you know gets them on rodents feeding and all that you know and that's that's amazing but and again i there definitely could be several out there but i have personally never seen an old hog nose snake that is readily on rodents you know at least in eastern you know you know westerns yeah i you see them all the time you know full-blown adults that are old you know taking frozen thawed mice but your eastern and southerns maybe they're just not established enough but i don't see like 10 12 15 year old animals no eating rodents you know that's <laughs> no and i mean i think unfortunately we don't see anywhere near enough old snakes at all no but, no uh, you don't <laughs> it, it and a lot of that it comes down to diet like uh you know yeah. one of my closest friends owns my, the local reptile store here and some of the things that people bring to him are atrocious every time the you know if, if you feed a florida king every time it looks at you like it's hungry it's going to need a little rascal before too long to move around. I mean, they, those things, um, they, I know they get chunky, but geez, they'll get chunky quick or, um, you know, yeah. like it, even just corn snakes, like, uh, you know, I've seen people bring him corn snakes. It's like, well, don't feed that for three months. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, uh, exactly. You know, and it, and it's, you know, for me, it seems like that, that idea of things is very much to new keepers or, you yep. know, and stuff like that. Because even my dad, when I was living with my parents, you know, he would come up around my snakes and he would see one of my big carpets. Like, you know, whenever I'm in the room, my carpets normally come out and they're like, Ooh, what are you doing? You know, are you going to feed me? You know? And so I'll be working my room and my dad would come up and be like, Oh, that this one looks hungry. You know, why don't you feed it? And I'm like, because I fed it a week ago, you know, this is a six foot carpet. Like it doesn't need to eat, but once a month, but I fed it a week ago and it looks hungry now because it it always wants food they always want food they're called it's called oh, opportunistic yeah. feeding like they will feed once a week if you give it to them because they want to eat but and they will take every opportunity they can because they don't know if it's going to be six months before their next meal but that's not that's not how things work you know and a lot of people they see that that instinct of like oh he's out here he might have food let me see if he's got something you know and they take that as oh he's hungry like no it's, it's a self-control thing and, and yeah. people are, are not very good at it sometimes you know i mean they, it and it i think it, a lot of it comes from unfortunately our society and furry pets um right and then that's because like how you see just as many overweight dogs Oh yeah. As you do reptiles, you know, I've seen, if anything, I've seen more overweight dogs than reptiles because that's oh. like, and you also see more overweight, just Americans than you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. people, you know, that's what Me. we do. We eat and we see things that we want to feed them, you know, and you know, everybody thinks these chubby or chunky animals are cute and whatever, yeah. blah, blah. It's like, that's not cute. 
That's nope. not cute at all. That's <laughs> unhealthy. It makes me sad, you know, like so genuinely. I, how I kind of got this way was with birds and it's uh with the with the caternix i wasn't feeding them to anything i was eating them mostly right. or you know if yeah. i was killing them and so um you open up every single one of them and you can see the way that, that uh they store fat around their organs um and you can see oh, that it restricts yeah. the obvious that you know uh intakes and exhausts of specific organs um, and so hearts and livers in uh production birds they look terrible you know i mean they, just, they look absolutely awful and it uh i i'm the same way I, if i if i catch it that day and it hasn't sat on the heat tape overnight or something i will i will cut open a ball python every time it dies uh, yeah. just to see where i'm at with with how it's putting fat away i mean um i feel like if you don't take a look inside of them you know most of the hobby hasn't done that and if you don't see the nasty like creamy uh it's the way they store fat is really weird it's not like mammals where it's like you know mixed into the muscle it's all uh, it's all sitting around the organs and on the outside and there'll be like a little fat wall around the you know the um uh, like sort of the you know the organ cavities and it's it's yeah. it's not not good um yeah. but i feel like if people saw that more maybe uh that might help uh you know yeah the, you know i don't know it's, and it's it's yeah it's it's sad man you know especially with like carpets and stuff because like even fat carpets will feel they'll feel muscular yeah i can't tell you how many times i've seen you know i heard about a eight nine foot coastal and they're like oh this thing's all muscle you know but it's as big <laughs> around as my freaking bicep and it's like that's that's too big man like you think yeah. it's all muscle because it's flexing while you're holding it i guarantee you if that thing was completely relaxed and you're and you were feeling it it would be mushy as all get out you know but it's also like they don't feel they're not like humans where you can see like the visible like oh, okay that's overweight with snakes yep. they just look big you know, like, yeah. oh, that's just a big individual. No, it's not. You know, you're overfeeding it and it's fat. It doesn't feel like it because you're holding it and it's flexed all the time, but it's, you know. Yep. Know. Yeah. You always see the big boa or rock python or berm yeah. at a show that's like, it's like fully, it's perfectly round and like kind of bulging at the seams. And it's, it's so tired from just being handed around for an hour that its tail is just like sagging to the floor. Yeah. And, uh, it's like that's ah, not uh, i listened to way too much npr for too many years so my adult male coastal that's like four or five years old people are like oh wow is that juvenile <laughs> I'm like no that's it he's yeah uh he's four and a half foot snake and you know he eats basically once every three weeks once a month yeah. <laughs> like um you know i i uh never not really gonna do anything coastal wise but uh you know whether you're gonna breed him or not it's just not not worth uh it, the one I, I take my snakes to the vet if I need to. And so vet bills, um, you know, it's uh, a lot. And a lot of the hobby kind of dodges that. And so they don't, you know, um, it, it doesn't get approached really. But uh, yeah, just, you know, skinny dogs live longer. Yeah, that's uh, it's see a lot of fat condros too. You see oh, a lot oh, of yeah. fat snakes. You know, I think a lot of people like people don't realize that like you know and again this is kind of towards like the newer a lot of newer keepers in the hobby and it's like you know with snakes there has to be a shape like with boas you know pythons it's or with some pythons it's more of a roundish shape you know yes they do have that well but with boas it's much more square yeah you know like you have that square and with chondros it's more of a triangle you know like chondros a healthy chondro looks skinny 
Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, like, I had because... no idea how big a chondro actually was the first four or five years I kept reptiles because yeah. you just see the you know like the pictures on social media they're the size of an emerald you know and like or you see them in reptile right. stores and they're you know twelve fifteen hundred grams um, and then when you see a healthy one it's like holy crap that's it yeah yeah you know like chondros you know they have that more triangular shape to their body tone and you know when I was I looked into boas for a long time and I remember reading like a healthy boa has more of a rectangular square shape. You know, it has the yep. definition, not this round blob that should look like a loaf of bread, basically. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Know, that's a perfect. Yeah. And it's I actually so I have a space in my yard where I take a lot of snakes outside. It, it's uh, all like outdoor carpet and has like man's I had we had a big snowstorm at, at we don't live in snow elevation. So it knocked down like every tree on the place. Um, so I stacked all the manzanita around it and it's, it's just like a, a woven pile of branches for the snakes to climb around. Um, and then, you know, indoor outdoor carpet so I can wash it, you know, hose it all down, keep it clean. But um, I brought a ball python outside, uh, you know, four or five years ago for the first time, put it on the ground and it was just like teetering back and forth as it crawls, you know, and it's like, this is inappropriate. <laughs> it should, it should have way more muscle tone than this, you know, why is it waddling? Uh, yeah and so that's uh, that i kind of took it up another notch from there and really cut back on the you know and and just people and and it's always kind of the newer people or the animal rights sector of the you know uh, hobby that they just freak out when they see a snake that looks skinny to them but i don't ever find a snake outside that looks like anything we keep inside so uh yeah it obviously they they're just fine you know right yeah and that because that's the other thing you know you know you know guys like you and myself and you know justin as well you know like we are we're herpers as well so we see how things look in the wild you know versus how things look in captivity and i can tell you i've seen the biggest rat snakes i've ever seen have been in captivity yep you know yep. and like i have seen some big yellows like i've seen a six foot yellow rat before for sure but this thing had scars, almost no <laughs> pattern because it was so old, you know, and it was big, but it was also very healthy, very a lot of definition. So like, yeah, it was big, but I bet you that thing was six, seven years old or more, you know, versus, you know, these things that are three, four years old and they're six feet long, as round as a paper towel roll. And, you know, like I've never seen anything like that in the wild you know yeah i, I have a like a, a california king snake female it's like five plus feet and she's you know um she's big she's two or three times around you know as thick as your thumb i've never seen a california king snake in the wild that was over like three and a half feet exactly. uh, and never bigger around than like maybe you know uh, a grown man's thumb um they just you know what what size they can get um and you know what they get outside is and obviously you know they don't all live the same life cycles outside but still even like uh, it's it's all northern pacific rattlesnakes here so all organis and um occasionally you'll find one that figured out the trick and it's just sitting outside the rodent burrow and it's gotten fat but like uh, <laughs> yeah it's real rare but i mean you do find them and and it seems to be more rattlesnakes than anything else um because they you know they've got the, all the all the extra tools for the ambush but um yeah every once in a while you'll find one that's like clearly eating ground squirrels and it's like well you're not gonna live very long yeah. there's a reason it's not called survival of the fattest yep <laughs> yeah that's it yeah man i don't know i like i get i feel like a lot of people look at my carpets and they judge me based on how small <laughs> they are because i have three-year-old snakes that look like everybody else's one-year-olds 
you know, like, and it makes it almost like makes me feel bad. And I don't like telling people how old my carpets are because of that fact. But my carpets like are extremely toned, like very, very toned. They don't have any folds, no, nothing like that, but they're small. You know, like I have stuff that other people would be breeding this year that mine, they still have two years to go, you know, but that's because I like my breeders at five years old. You know, I don't, I'm not trying to breed at three or two, you know, like, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's, I mean, the, and it's, re, it's really rampant in the ball python world. And we still have no idea how long these snakes are going to live. Everybody's breeding them at like 18 months to two and a half years old. And, um, you know, they're uh, just cranking them with food to get them. They've come up with all sorts of little stratagems to, you know, get them bigger, faster. Um, but because the relevance shifts constantly, it doesn't matter to people if the snakes live 10 or 12 years. Um, they're only relevant to the market for the first three or four. Um, and so, uh, you know, unfortunately, that's um, it's it's a big part of the there's a there's a, a, a lot that goes on in the ball python hobby that's, you know, probably could use some adjustment just as far as the health of the snakes and, um, you know, not 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 no racks or things like that but uh just you know right. the a couple of things about the way we keep them like I, I personally think we keep them way too hot too and and that only benefits the breeder because it's keeping the metabolism cranked um yeah, I, it's uh, my my room um i actually run ambient heat in my ball python room i don't have any heat tape because of a near heat tape fire and uh it, what i i have it all, my herb sat runs it and basically the room's 86 during the day it drops 82 at night um, and I have been doing that for like three years and I have noticed zero difference in behavior where they're like the way they sort of thermoregulate, there's still some sort of evaporative cooling effect to the water. And if you kind of temp gun in the tub, it's not, not the same, you know, uh, not the gradient that the hobby kind of all looks for, but, um, it, it's, it works just fine. And I feel like I've kind of, you know, when uh, snakes aren't, you know, obviously they need to thermoregulate, but they're, um, I get called to rescues or you find your own snakes doing the dumbest things when it comes to setting on heat um and so i just think that you know they're going to go to the hottest spot they they're they always are and so if it's 80 you know 88 92 whatever it is they're going to go there and set there and and if it's you know obviously those aren't dangerous temperatures but they are going to keep the metabolism turned up um you know i mean if everybody that's you know used a lot of heat tape has had a probe fall off and found at least 50 you know if you got a bunch of racks at least half the snakes are sitting on like a 120 degree 130 degree heat tape you know and just uh, they're not going to move they're going to sit right there till they burn yeah um, you know uh, so even 86 like i don't aside from the ackies which are obviously a pretty extreme exception but <clears throat> for the most part i don't i mean i don't even like keeping stuff above that you know yep like my room dips into the probably the upper seventies at night and like everything gets turned off. I mean, half the time I'm not even, I'm not even running heat on any of the racks or anything anymore. Like Aki cage and all the lights and stuff go out. Temperature drops a decent, decent bit. And then, you know, in the morning everything gets turned back on. And by the middle of the day, it's, it's pretty warm in there. And even the Aki's like, they've been fine with those night drops. Like I, I think it's probably actually not a bad thing for them at all, but, it's more natural than anything. Yeah. yeah like, you yeah, know, me, yeah. like I, I keep, you know, when it comes to carpets, I keep more pop on carpets than anything. You know, everybody knows this. What? I have, I have one pair of coastals. Get out of town. Yeah. But everything else is pop one. So, but like I have, you know, obviously I know it's not the most accurate thing, but it's accurate within a, you know, a spectrum. I have West, 
Wes Papua on my, you know, on my weather app on my phone, you know, and I look at the temperatures, you know, just to see how things are going and it never changes. It's always like, you know, high, high 80s yep. during the day, it rains and then it's low to mid 70s at night. That's and just like the fluctuation every single day, you know, and it's like, that's what they go through, you know? So me now I am, you know, what, while I'm running racks, it, you know, all the heat tape stays on 24 seven, but as I'm doing cages, I'm switching over to lights and UVB and all that. Everything's going to get a night drop. All he's going to go off at night because that's, that's natural. That's it's what natural, happens yeah. when the sun goes down. Like, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. When the what? sun goes down, it cools off. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think, uh, I think as we all evolve, you know, and as the hobby evolves, our methods all right. kind of shift as we go. Yeah. And like, I, uh, this conversation was kind of going on, on, I, I'm pretty active on the morph market community forum. And this conversation kind of came up recently about, you know, ambient keeping. And a few people were like, you know, why would you even do that? Snakes need to, you know, and there's just some basic arguments that, that kind of, uh, you know, the, the verdict's still out on certain things. Like we, yes, we know they need to thermoregulate, but we don't understand it the way we think we do. Like we were just talking about, they will go lay on something that will kill them a hundred percent of the time. If you give them the option, um, see snakes basking when it's a hundred degrees outside in the middle of the day. Yeah. And like, if like, so here, um, in our hot, we have like two months of just insane temperature. So at nine o'clock at night, it'll still be a hundred degrees. Um, it won't get under 95 uh, there's nobody in the world that keeps the California king stakes at those temperatures and the ground is so hard here. The burrows are not deep. So they're not reaching that, that temperature yeah. stabilization point in the, in the ground. So they're still maybe three or four degrees cooler, but like, uh, you know, like I've, I brought up in that particular conversation is like, look, these things, you know, for a good portion of the year, they never live in the gradient that the hobby says they have to have and they won't right. digest right or they won't um so we just don't understand temperatures i think quite the way that we like to think you know certain species we've you know uh, you dial it in through failure right um, or success but uh, i mean generally i think we keep most everything too you know hotter than it need be um and the more you herp the more you find stuff out when it's way cooler than what we would ordinarily mm -hmm. think you know um and and you know the like you hurt the desert a little bit like when we were in the great basin we we're uh trying to get a uh see if it was like a side blotch or a fence lizard that was you know racing around in the shade and uh you know as you're following it around it runs out to the edge of the shade and it stops dead like it's going to run into lava or something because it's about to run into the sun and it knows the rock's too hot for it to touch you temp gun the rock and it's like 149 one you know 152 something like that and uh the you know the lizards obviously got it worked out it stays on the shady side as the sun moves but it it clearly knows that it's going to die if it goes outside that uh you know or it's going to get hurt mm -hmm. if it goes out in the sun like that yeah. um well, even like the it, uv exposure too like prolonged mm -hmm. yep yeah and you uh, i noticed that um you know that we haven't done a lot of desert herping but i noticed a lot of lizards out in the indirect sunlight um and throughout the day you can find them in indirect sunlight um and it, it's you know it's just because temperature i mean your temp gun's your best friend when you're trying to figure out what they're doing um yeah. and like we found that you know we were trying to find uh more horned lizards and uh we found that yeah the, um oh dude they're just, they're so awesome so cool and we just couldn't find it we kept finding the, like the burrow tracks where they're like um you just you see the the dirt's really loose kind of sandy and you'll see the lizards track right up to where they dug into the you know their little burrow and the burrow collapses on them so you don't want to dig them up and you know screw them up for the day because they're obviously trying to stay out of the heat yeah um but they're like we we looked you know the whole first 
day, you know, the whole first morning that, you know, in the evening, couldn't quite figure it out. And then uh, my buddy got up to take a pee in the morning at like 630 and uh, found one, you know. Um, and so they were just out way earlier than what we thought. They were out when it was like 60, you know, 62, 64 degrees. Um, just getting it done before the sun gets too hot because like that loose soil they're in was actually hotter than the rocks. It was running like 160. And so they're. Um, wow. Yeah. And, and then, you know, other animals that are a little more designed for it, like the lep the long-nosed leopard lizards, those were just in the shade of the sagebrush, which was, you know, running like 108, 110 in the shade. Um, but, you know, they seem to be a little more adapted to it because that was where we were finding them constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just, you know, I don't know, like I said, they, they obviously have a temperature range they need, but in the hobby, I don't think we understand it like we, we like to think. And I think as, you know, herpers, we have a better grasp on that, type of thing because like if you're you know especially around here if you if you're a herper you know that your best times to herp are as soon as spring hits and as soon as fall is you know in in place you know when fall is officially here those are great times then when spring is officially here it's great times but that in between of dead summer it sucks you're not going to yeah. find crap unless you're out like late evenings when it drops to the seventies, you know, and even if here, even like, does. yeah, you know, late at night here, the, you know, there we've had, we will have, I know granted it's not usually in the nineties here at night. We normally don't stay that hot during the evening, but you know, I wake up at, you know, five 30 every day for work and I'm at work by six 30. And when I get in my truck, it's been 82 degrees. So it's like, it's, that's hot. You know, you're really not going to find a lot that day, but you know, we still have days that are more like 75. Like this morning was 75 degrees when I got my truck. I think this morning would have been a great morning to go out and find some stuff because it was cooler, but those hot mornings, those hot days, you're not going to find anything because they don't want to be in it as much as you don't like it's too hot, man. Yeah. I went road cruising last, like last Saturday night and uh, Friday night we went out to a higher elevation and uh, we found like one Northern Pacific up at probably like 4,000 feet or something like that. And that's one of the nice things about where I live is I can get to an elevation where I'll find something even in the heat of the summer. Right. But like I went to kind of our honey hole um, last week and there was nothing there. And I, I just quit at midnight. It's like I'm not I can drive around all night and not see anything. It's still it was like 94 right. degrees still, you know. Um, but yeah, that um, I don't know. That's And that's that's one of the nice things about like Morph Market is that a lot of the people that are on there, they have that. Uh, they're new. They're not, you know, they're just coming into the hobby, but they're trying to take it seriously. They're trying to kind of get on that level. Like a lot of us are. And, um, you know, it's, it's nice to see, uh, at least some Avenue for that. I cannot dodge this sun, no matter what I do. He's like layering off my glasses and there's a storefront window behind the, uh, the monitor and it's just killing me. It's uh, funny. I was look. I actually looked at you and I saw the sun and I was like, that's so funny because it's pitch black here. <laughs> like it's dark. It's all, it's all hell out there. Yeah. It, uh, it's, it's definitely uh it's a unique in, environment for, uh, um, you know, herping, uh, yeah. cause it, the, you know, like right now, if I walk outside, it's still 105. Um, <laughs> yeah, we only get that way for a couple of months, but it's still, um, it's, it's long enough. But yeah, the, like herping around here, um, it, it's June is kind of our prime time because it does stay. We're we're not high elevation, but for some reason, you know, we kind of stay uh, stay cold a little bit late in the season. Um, May there's not a lot of stuff moving around, and then it, it's pretty pretty much from like June to September is our prime time. But we'll find you know the basic stuff, the Norpacks and the Cow Kings all through November and or I mean October rather. 
Man, I wish June through September was our prime time, man. Like that would <laughs> that would be ideal, but our prime time is like April to May, like is your really good times, you know, at least your warm days in April. We normally get a freeze right before Easter. Right before Easter, we'll usually have a freeze, but every any warm day before Easter has been insane for me, you know, as far as road cruising or going through WMAs. It's fantastic. You know, it's the best herping out there. But as soon as like June hits and it gets hot, it's like everything just shuts down and it's hot as all get out. Things are only coming out super late or super early. And it's, yeah. Yeah. It's nice that like, I'm kind of, we, we found some pretty nice spots in the desert when we were there recently. And it's about, it's about like a three hour drive to kind of our jumping off point. Um, oh, and wow. so it was nice to find it's high desert. So it's, it's like you're over 4,000 feet elevation. So your, your windows are really tight. You know, you got a little bit here in the morning and then there's some stuff you can find during the day, but, um, you know, and then back in the evenings and, uh, for, you know, a little short period and then by 11 o'clock or something, it's 60 degrees out, even in the middle of summer and nothing's oh, wow. moving. And, um, so it's, but it, you know, around my house, I could drive around all night and it's still 95 and nothing wants to come out. So, right. uh, yeah, it's, uh, the, the desert, I don't know, having gone there for the first time and just, I mean, we found like eight unique species to us. Um, it, I'll definitely uh, spend a lot more time herping there. It's, um, uh, it's the way. Yeah, the desert's definitely a, a different a different beast, you know, because around here, I mean, it's it's pretty much across the board, you know, wherever it's hot, it's going to be hot everywhere. You know, you don't really get the ranges and elevation here. Everything's flat here. You know? It's like you living know? in Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we've uh we can you know it's, it's just like because the elevation changes around us we can drive to new weather um in right. you know in an hour or less but uh, yeah. the other thing that keeps me kind of going back to that side of the mountains is there's a geographic barrier between me and the lutosis so uh, <laughs> I, i'm trying yeah. to find that, that perfect lutosis to keep in the snake yeah. room and, uh it it's i got to drive up over this you know uh, mountain range that's in the way so <laughs> Yeah, they're oh man, Worth they're just, it. They, oh, and they're so beautiful. The one we found this last trip was the first one we found, and it wasn't you know quite it wasn't that cream colored kind of you know uh, Utah lutosis that everybody. But we get some of those in the area, you know, the more reduced pattern, higher contrast, um, and so that's kind of you know, um, anytime I'm I'm free to get over there, it's uh, it's worth it. I mean, it's you know the Norpacks are are cool, but it, they're they all look the same. I like the like the brick red ones yeah yeah and we get a, a green phase here that's pretty cool um mm -hmm. you know it's it's pretty you know so some of some examples of it are pretty cool um nor packs get red south the south south packs are like the darker black ones yeah right? yeah okay. yeah they'll have yeah. Like, more of that black on them and, yeah. and the um you know the nor packs the pattern's somewhat variable but it's pretty it's pretty consistent mm -hmm. well the nice thing about them is their temperament is really chill they're like the least likely california rattlesnake to bite you i guess maybe the specs probably a little better but um, like I had a, a relocation last year where the lady stepped on one in shorts and sandals and, uh, just hissed and slithered off. Yeah. They're, they're pretty chill. Like I get Dodged there. The and bullet the, there. Huh? Yeah. The cats like made it mad, you know, and it's all, uh, and they're like, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I'm going to wait 10 minutes and let it calm down <laughs> and just <laughs> scoop it up and throw it in the bucket, you know, and, yeah, uh, I'm going to wait 10 minutes and pick it up. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're really chill, you know, it's, uh, yeah. but they're not, they, they're, um, you know, that's one thing I got to kind of make the trip to Southern California. I really, the specs and the, uh, the panamints and stuff down there are just awesome. Hell yeah. How'd yeah. you, uh, end up getting involved with the morph market? 
So I kind of, uh, I, I kind of just was, uh, you know, lurking there for a while and, and there, um, we live in an Amazon prime society and I just noticed there wasn't quite enough people in there answering questions and, you know, and mm -hmm. creating content. It's a really cool format. It's kind of a, you know, uh, uh, hybrid social media forum type thing. Um, and so it's, it's, it, there's a lot of room for the format. It, it gives you a little more, you know, it's, it, it's hard to teach people in 140 characters. Um, yeah. and so it's, it's great for that, but I just kind of, uh, you know, there's a, a, the staff on there is awesome. They're, they're really great to deal with. Um, you know, they're, uh, if you have a question or you need, you know, you want to see a change or, yeah, it maybe not, isn't something that's practical or they can do it, but they're willing to listen every time. And, and they're, um, they're super helpful to, you know, anybody that's, that's, uh, you know, uh, puts in the effort. And so it, it's a pretty, you know, the people that are on there without any, you know, no one's telling us to do it. We all kind of present a united front of information. Um, yeah. you know, and that's, that's, I think helpful, uh, when people come in, they, in, it's not like a f Facebook groups or, you know, we all know how much of a dumpster fire pretty much every mm -hmm. one of them is. Um, and you can't teach people in a Facebook group. And that's actually what it shows. It's the first thing I tell people not to do. I'm like, look, if you want to learn something, either, you know, DM me or, or um, you know, go on Morph Market and ask because uh, we sort of know who, you know, whose expertise is what and can kind of get you to the right person there. Yeah. Um, you know, I love the fact that that John has been so open to to ideas and, and suggestions and stuff. You know, I think like there's a a lot of other people wouldn't have wouldn't be as as open-minded to to that input from other people when especially when you're dealing with something as successful and as as smoothly run as as that website and whole thing is you know he's done a phenomenal job you know with the entire thing and i i laugh now because i remember when it sort of first hit the scene i was like man there's no way this is going to replace fauna yeah. or king snake Dude, I, yeah uh, I it's didn't... another marketplace and then after a while i was like holy shit like it's actually once he got once it sort of broke away from the from the sole ball uh ball python platform you know like, and expanded oh god now now Morph, it's completely changed yeah morph market has become like the the standard now you it's know? like what's like, fauna and king's doing yeah. like jesus oh yeah i mean i was i was unsure about yeah i was unsure about using it at all you know when it first came out but like king snake you know it just doesn't offer you know like yeah. you said i mean 1999 might be being generous you know i mean it's yeah. uh that thing's never changed um and and fauna um whether it deserves it or not, Fauna has a certain reputation and uh, it, it, you can't ignore it. Yeah, exactly. You just can't ignore it. Uh, you, you know, you see the people that are on there just obviously trying to shaft somebody, uh, you know, it's been going on for years. Um, there was nothing then, more entertaining than that BOI thread. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then once yeah. they were like, yeah, you got to pay for it to see it. I'm like, yeah, no. no. Yep. Sorry. Yeah, I checked, out on them. I checked out on them a long time ago. Um, I, I never bothered to sell anything there, even on on King Snake. I uh, Instagram before Facebook took over and screwed up the algorithm. Instagram used to sell everything I need to sell, um, and then I got to a point where I had to start doing shows because I still use Morph Market on the marketplace and I'll ship certain things. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, if it's under five hundred bucks, people don't want to buy it on there. Um, not yeah. you know, uh, not every average combo. And so um, I just save a lot of that for shows. And if I have something that's a little too high end for you know the the you know, show market here than, or the pet end of the show market, which is kind of where I, my wheelhouse, um, then I, I sell it on there. Um, but I, I, where I live, it's, I, my shipping restriction is not just winter time. It's, it's too hot to ship for a good portion of the year. Yeah. Um, we are too. you know, and so it's, um, like I, I don't use the, the marketplace aspect of it as much as, as I, you mm -hmm. know, do on the, on the uh, forum part, but, um, 
you know, it's I I think John's really uh, they they're developing it constantly. He's got a great idea there. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's, well, even, he's just even last year at Daytona, like when we were, you know, we had the magazine table and stuff, and he and I had talked briefly, and he was like, he literally had a book with him, and he's like, man, like, is there anything that you know we can do better or change? And I at the time I had no idea that like the browse latest button existed, and I was like, I just want to see everything and like chondros or corn snakes or whatever that's for sale i don't want to have to filter through the different traits and stuff and then like brendan meyer was like dude you just go click this button right here i'm like oh oh thanks <laughs> felt like a you know a 90 year old man but yeah. uh like john was like literally like writing this stuff down in this book yeah. and it was kind of like oh my god like this guy's serious about it yeah dude. no he was he was very apparent that he cared and you know it especially showed when travis kind of got on board with mm -hmm. the whole with everything in more market you know he messaged us and it was like hey if y'all you know i respect you guys as keepers in the hobby so like you know we want to make this towards hobbyists you know so if y'all have any suggestions please let us know and like just recently i download it's not really an app it's kind yeah, of yeah. weird, but like you can download it from the website. And so like I have that. It's like a quick access to the website. Yeah. Yeah. And just that alone, man, like I downloaded that and I saw all the different like the categories changed. It's more specific, yeah, it's kind of you know, recently. and it's like, wow, this is, you know, like they really paid attention to what people were asking. And it's, it's truly think that's impressive. What's, that's what's made him so successful yeah. is he saw yep. that major gap with yeah. fauna and king snake and said this hasn't changed in a very long time times have changed people have changed technology has changed right and then he went and found the way to make it as user-friendly and like intuitive yep. as possible yep. and it's he's con he's keeping up with the times though he's not just like yeah cool we got it down to where we want it right coast you know it's like no like uh, john's as long he as that that whole website and and marketplaces around, I feel like he's and he's involved with it. I think it's going to continue. Yeah, it's going to gonna be updated, constantly be yeah. evolving. He's done a lot that he didn't have to do to yeah, right support his marketplace. So like the Morphopedia thing is like like I, I I'll go to the world of ball pythons for a minute with the ball python combo because mm -hmm. that's that's something if you don't breed them you don't have to do all the time. Like I'm like ah is this you know yeah. I got to see a picture of it. And uh, about six times in 10, you go to World of Ball Pythons, you're like, that is definitely not it. Like, I, I am yeah. never made this combo before, but I'm certain that's not it. Um, and so the Morphopedia sort of brings uh, a little bit of accountability to it. You know, it has to have been public. People have to know about it. Kind of the community yeah. gets to, you know, have their input. Um, and that was really necessary. And then just having the community there, like, hey, you know, I just bought this thing on Morph Market. Now, how do I take care of it? Uh, which, unfortunately, is it, as much as we all know, that's not the way you do things. That's pretty mm -hmm. much how people buy in today's world. Um, and so and, and you know, he's, he supports the hobby at large quite a bit, too. You know, and that's yeah. um, it's obviously all in his best interest, but he really doesn't have to do it to, to remain profitable, you mm -hmm. know, and um, that's it. It's they really have. Uh, and, and they are um, there. There is a, an actual app in the works. Um, and I, I don't know when they plan to launch it, but they do have a real app coming. Nice. Do you know if it's going to have like the community aspect with it or is it just going to be marketplace stuff? I'm not sure. I know this, so the community runs like a discord server. And so I don't know how that would tie into the okay. app. Um, and that's why it's like some of the things like I've, I've occasionally asked for a change on the community and they're like, yeah, that's kind of like you call discord. Um, and, mm -hmm. and so there's, there's a certain, I don't know. I, I'm not uh, very educated in that aspect of it. So I don't know if, uh, you know, I, I would assume that they're going to have the community on there. I, I hope so. Um, yeah. You know, I spent a lot of time there. I don't want to have to uh, go the long way all the time. Yeah, I haven't been on there much. Uh, I've been trying to be more active, at least in the community thing, just because it is it's 
there's sort of a like nostalgic forum feel to the whole thing, yeah. uh, which I, yep. I kind of like. And um, I haven't like it's 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 really been a very bullshit free zone. Yeah. Like, yeah. It hasn't been like Facebook where it's like, oh, my God, like, what am I reading? It's right. it's everyone's been really positive. And at least from what I've seen so far, I haven't dug too deep into a lot of the, you know, the major parts of it, like the, you know, the ball section and stuff. But um it's been if, cool like you know it's it's i i've enjoyed going on there and looking around and seeing what's new and and posting stuff here and there and i don't i like it there's a little bit more of a like a, not, i won't say like a professional discourse atmosphere there but it, it is it, to to a degree it is a little bit more kind of uh people tend Aim. to speak better there yeah exactly yeah. like you don't see the the you know the angry troll flipping out too much on there that's very very rare and then uh, when we get back to the, uh, you know, Bush League Breeders Club uh, screaming at each other days, the staff uh, put some, you know, some labels on there like, mm -hmm. hey, it's a divisive topic. Why don't you slow down a little bit? Uh, yeah. Think about, you know, think about your response. We're watching you. you. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, the refs in a hockey game trying to, like, decide if they want to break up a fight or not. <laughs> like, you know, we could probably let them go a little bit. But and then you have the refs that are like, no, we're not even we're not even getting yeah, started we're not before you even get this. the gloves off. We're not. Yeah. If it, I mean, sometimes the discussions will get pretty heated, but it, it tends to be on more technical stuff. So it's not, mm -hmm. you know, people tend to be pretty well spoken and have a, a formulated argument. And it's it's not the, you know, just uh, mudslinging for the sake of it. Well, the other thing that's been really, really nice is the people that are, you know, moderating or administrators and stuff. There's not the the big headedness that you get with people no. in groups and like old forums and how people just like the the freaking god complexes people get when they're put in yeah. charge of a fucking forum yeah it's like, oh my god like especially the the people that run the groups like on facebook it's like oh i know it's unbelievable how yeah. you'd think they were freaking running the country like yep <laughs> it's, it's like it's your it's a facebook group dude chill sometimes i'm not sure if the moderators are worse or if the like the people in the groups are worse um it just depends on the group but uh depends on the day yeah it's some of them <laughs> man I, I can't even uh get into it with those people you know it's it, there's just they're emotional irrational arguments and no one's gonna change anybody's mind and nope. so it, there's no science there's you know or there's very little it's like sprinkled in the middle of a bunch of caps lock mm -hmm. and uh nobody you know, <laughs> it's yeah. sprinkled in the middle of a bunch of caps lock I like well it. i think the the big differentiating yeah. factor there that does kind of filter people out from like forums and the facebook groups thing is like the fact that you have to create an account yeah, as as yep. small of a wall as that is, there's just people that are just not willing to climb it, and it's like yeah. I think that because it's also a separate site, so you have to yeah make the effort to go there. And I think I mean that's why a lot of the forums I think died off is because Facebook became like, why do I need to go anywhere else when I have it right here and it's all in one place? I don't have to leave. Yeah. Uh, and so with with Morph Mark community and I guess any of the other forums that maybe are still alive and kicking, which I feel like is next to none, but yeah, um, there's that, that wall of like, okay, you got to register. Now you got to verify. Now you got to actually log on and check it regularly. Like right. people have gotten, I mean, we've all gotten lazy because of social media so, and stuff yeah. like that. And so it's just, you know, it was the natural progression of things, but it's, I find it funny that the only thing to stop at least a, a a decent chunk of people from sort of hopping on those and the and and not being in the groups is is just the the registration. Yep. 
Yeah, and then like I said, it, it does have more of a like a maintained in you know everybody tends to you know there's there's the pet keeper that's coming in asking their first questions or whatever. But when it comes mm-hmm. to the more technical stuff, people, um, yeah, we're all generally pretty you know most of us are uh, yeah we're all know it alls you know like uh, to be honest. Um, but uh, it, it's it it's a little bit of there's just more accountability there than it's not like the the forum days where the moderators were you know like you said it was either some somebody that was surely uh, biased one direction or the other um, or you know just a completely non present moderator and it's you know right. uh, it's everything's going to hell um, and and then they actually at Morph Market they do they are pretty good about letting a discussion you know evolve without mm-hmm. as long as nobody's picking at anybody you know it's, yeah. that's um, you know, and, and even I feel like in, in the forums, a lot of times they would shut it down before that just because, you know, the uh, maybe the moderator didn't like the person or whatever. Right. Yeah. And there's there's a difference between a, you know, quote unquote, heated discussion or two people having a disagreement versus somebody just being a dick. Like yep. there's yep. there's a huge line. You know, some people, you know, on Facebook, you see all those guys like somebody asks, you know, a quote unquote stupid question but like they may just not know it's not so it's like, them. yeah it's not We've stupid to them a they're, times, yeah they're genuinely curious them, yeah you know? but you have those people that want to jump down somebody's throat that's like why are you posting this on your blog you know you're stupid you should know this it's like no that's not how we should approach things you know and then you have those discussions between some of the bigger names in the hobby to where they just they're just disrespectful in a yeah. way. And it's like, you know, like we can have two different opinions on something in both work. You know, we don't have to all agree with how people do things, but if your animals are healthy, is it really that? But as far as deal, like the, the, the and, regular questions being asked, like I do kind of get the frustration there. Because, yeah. Cause it's like, cause people look, are willing, look through it's like, the forum and help you'll yourself find before it. you, yeah. before you, yeah. go to other people kind of thing it's like people are just you know they're the one thing that comes to mind that i always think of when i think about that is in uh one of the boyka groups on facebook like someone literally wanted a care sheet in the comments like not even yeah. like not even vaguely <laughs> asked for it but like straight up was like uh can you guys tell me how you're keeping these and what their care is like and I was like, I think I commented and just put a link to Google or something. I was like, At least <laughs> yeah, you did. Put, yeah. put some effort into trying to answer yeah. this question for yourself. Yeah. So, like, in that regard, I get it. But I also do understand, like, people may not know where to go. People may, may not know where to start. I mean, and you if can't they always a, trust Google, man. If they have yeah. Boiga and they're asking sort of, what do I do? There's, I mean, there's a bigger issue at hand there. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. it's just like, it, it. I understand both sides of it. I just, it's like if, if it upsets you that much, like you, you don't have to answer. You're under no obligation to, to reply. Yeah, you don't have to comment on it. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> it, it's uh yeah, it's that uh you know, the shit you chose to step in. Um yeah. and <laughs> it, it, people can't avoid it. And 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 I just I try to uh we all do it. it. you know, we all have a bad day and we all snap at somebody, but I try to, you right. know, I just try to ignorance is honest and um, you know, people if they're truly ignorant, they really don't even know where to begin. And so you gotta mm-hmm. give them some kind of a foothold. Um, and, and then there is this, uh, you know, we've created a culture of laziness and people won't go like, they won't even just, you know, click another tab and go to Google and, and right. search real quick. Uh, I mean, Google, Jake's point you know, too, you know, yeah, you don't know exactly if the information you're getting is correct, but that's why you look up more than one article. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Research and like in my thing, man, like, you know, I won't comment on somebody's. You're not even post. on Facebook most. Yeah, of the time I'm really anyway, not. So. Like, I don't do Facebook nowadays. Like, I haven't checked it. In you weeks. don't even do Instagram. 
I do Instagram. Barely. I posted a reel yesterday. I mean, Asshole. Like, come on, man. Mostly I'm busy. It's, given, uh, I'm it's busy. just for giving people unnecessary anxiety. You know, I mean, yeah, um, it's, exactly. it, there's constantly some angry little red number telling you to click on yeah. me. And then, and then at the <laughs> other end of that red number is an argument that's ready to be had. So, yeah. uh, it does I get, keep, you know. Yeah. I keep my social media very like, you know, I, I leave it over there. You know, I care about my animals much more than the social media aspect of things. So like Nerd. it is what it is, but it's like, you know, when it comes to people wanting questions, you know, I normally, I normally won't go out of my way to comment on somebody's thing because there's a million other people with their two cents. Well, they're going like, to all come in the same. Thing. Yeah. And this yeah. isn't, and my yeah. isn't, mine isn't going to get through. I have done to where I've like, I'll give a short explanation and be like, message me if you want to know more. Because I'm not, I'm not gonna tell you all this stuff on a Facebook to sell comment. Them encyclopedias, yeah. Or but I can't tell you how many people have messaged me with basic information and information, 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 because they didn't know. But because they messaged me, I'll them give them a whole care sheet in a message, you know. Because like, yep. yeah, you you found me, you know, you saw that I take care of my stuff a certain way. You want to know how I do it? I will gladly share that with you. Like, I'm more than happy to answer the most basic questions in a message, you know, because you took the time like, hey, I found five different things on Google that said this. What actually works, you know, yeah, what I looked at the, the reptiles magazine uh, uh, care sheet and exactly. uh, it was the same for iguanas <laughs> as it was for ball pythons. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all 88 yeah. degrees, 78 on the cool side, you know, yeah. feed, it, feed it once a week. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And and so, you know, it does like uh, care sheets. I'm glad that, you know, they're dying and that people do have more access to people like, you know, that have the experience and get out there and right. actually, um, you know, uh, there's no replacement for experience. It doesn't matter, you know, when it comes to like, like all the new ball Python breeders, I try to, um, you know, I just, it's like, just, just relax for three or four years, it, it, you know, stay yeah. in the hobby and just relax for a few Take years and then and enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. You'll, then you'll know what you're actually about and not be, uh, guessing so much, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, just enjoy the, the journey. I mean, that's, and that's how you're going to figure out new things. You know, you're going to figure yeah. out some trick that we don't know, or, you know, um you know something that sets you aside from everybody else um jesus that sun is killing me. i was gonna say it's, <laughs> it's like it's like chasing eye. me around it's like chasing <laughs> yeah, me around i can't it. escape it like hiding in the corner it's over here now further and further up your face it's like at some point he can't duck or go higher than <laughs> yeah <laughs> burn his retinas yeah uh yeah well um I don't know. I mean, I, th I think, um, you know, I, I wish more people would get on Morph Market. I mean, it needs more kind of content creators, uh, people that will actually just, and it doesn't have to be like, you know, I mean, I'm not talking about you making some elaborate Instagram posts or something. Just get on there and, and you know, um, share talk your snakes. Share, yeah, just talk yeah. to people. Just, you know, hey, this is what I do. It's a little different than everybody else. And, you know, um, what do you think about that? Or, um, you know, there's uh, like I've, uh, you just have access to a lot of, a lot of cool people. And they're like, Brandon Osborne's on there, Osborne Reptiles, um, or I think it's now it's, uh, he's uh, kind of linked up with uh, uh, Clint Bartley and their uh, Metazotics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so, but Brandon's got 20 plus years of experience and, you know, um, he's he's done it he's kept it you know and so and he keeps stuff in a unique way he keeps all you know all the species he keeps are you know mostly domesticated type stuff but he keeps them all ambient actually and all about mm -hmm. the same temperatures you know like 84 uh with a little bit of a you know natural room drop and um and you wouldn't you know if you're trying to experiment or if you've had a heat tape fire and you're you know you're nervous about that stuff then you you know uh you'd never have access to that guy you, you wouldn't know you'd right. have to figure this out on your own you know but um 
you know, there's somebody on there that's uh, that's there to help you. That's why I want people to to learn from my mistakes and not have to deal with it themselves, especially when it comes to sort of the uh, medical disease related things, you know, it's like all gladly if someone like, then that's, that's when I sort of comment on stuff is when someone has a a scenario that I found myself in, like I'll hundred percent tell you what happened and how I handled it. And maybe it'll help you. Maybe it won't, but you know, there's that kind of stuff, you know, prolapse, whatnot. It's like, that I will yeah. gladly help someone figure out right. because I remember when I had to deal with it and I didn't, you know, I was pretty much on my own, which worked out because you retain that information much better when it's all in the line and it's just you. When you have to figure it out. Yep, like, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. So, yep. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I had a, a ball python that I was the first one that I produced that I raised up to breeding size as a female. And, um, you know, I, she was egg bound and I, uh, wasn't really close enough to the vent to try to aspirate or whatever. And I tried palpating her. And, um, when she did finally lay the eggs, her oviduct or the lining was attached to one of them. So she oh. basically prolapsed the entire yeah. thing. And I mean, it was, you know, euthanasia was the only option at that point, but, mm-hmm. um, through that, you know, let's say I will, I don't give that advice. It's like, wait, where are the eggs? Let me see a picture. Are there, yeah. are there eggs by the vent? If they're not by the vent, don't go squeezing on her a whole bunch. You know, yeah. I mean, she might just be running late. Um, you know, over the years, you have that happen. Like ball pythons, normally 30 days after ovulation, will drop their eggs. I've had them go fit. You know, uh, I've had them go like 18, and I've had them go 50. You know, so it's right. uh, and it's just the you know you can't access to other people's experience is invaluable if you'll actually take it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, as we approach this, you know, two hour, 15 minute mark in this episode, which this has been great. You know, so before we finish this up, where do you where do you see your collection moving in the next you know five years? You know, and why you... is it rhino rats? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I you know like they're definitely uh, they're definitely on the list, and and over the next few years, I um, I will be shifting more to I uh, I'm kind of got a feel of my California circuit here, and um, there's not anybody that in the northern part of California is doing a big range of diversity, and so um, I've got a couple of carpet. Um, you know, projects that I'm growing up, uh, some, uh, a couple of Amazon tree boas, uh, getting a pair of, uh, proven Amazon tree boas from a friend here soon. Um, nice. and, uh, you know, just kind of shifting more towards that, that diverse table. I mean, the ball pythons are still going to be on it, but, um, a lot more, I, you know, California King snakes are, are local to me and they're one of the coolest snake out there. So I've, I've got to, you know, do what I can do with those. And, and I've got some pretty cool ones. I've got one of the very few known paradox cow Kings and, um, you know, we, we still in our world have no idea if those are, you know, going to be genetic, probably not, but you never know. Um, and so I got a lot of cool stuff I want to do with cow Kings and, um, and just, you know, colubrids in general. Um, but uh, the ball pythons, it, it, it's, I won't say it's run its course with me, but my projects are my projects and I'm not going, I'm not doing a lot more with them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, yeah, I've got a lot of, uh, actually, uh, you know, I guess I'll be a boa breeder before too long. So I've got a ton of boas growing up. So, uh, you know, it's it's just a little shift more towards diversity, and I don't care to ever be a huge producer, but um, I, you know, I do like to keep myself at reptile shows, and you know, uh, like I said, providing those pets. Yeah, bear drats. That's awesome, man. Hey, you yeah. know, those are another one that uh, that I've got to take a look at a little harder. Yeah, rat snakes in general, man. Don't look at just those. Don't look at those. Just those yeah. silly Texas, those silly Texas stuff. Like you gotta, you gotta merge into some of the. Nobody wants ner- your Nerodia. I didn't. <laughs> I said rat snakes. No, but that was asshole. that was. You, we were all thinking it. You just there's said. a there's a couple invasive populations in Nerodia here. So uh, fishing, really? yeah. <laughs> fishing game has yeah. its total 
totally off limits with those. Uh, no planning, no, 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 uh, none of none of the Nerodia complex is welcome here at all. Oh um, man, yeah, there's, there's not missing much. Yeah, right. I mean, I I, uh, <laughs> I remember them a little bit from back east, but uh, yeah, yeah I've, we we've got uh, you know a nice diversity of garter snakes, so it's like you know, uh, it's What's close enough difference? to a water snake. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. close enough. Uh, they're yeah. really stinky when you pick them up, and you know they don't generally have a bad attitude. So <laughs> nice, yeah, that's awesome, man. Now there's a lot of stuff in the colubrid world, and you know, you know me for with my carpet pythons, I'm kind of in a similar scenario. Like my carpets, I have not given up. I finally, I finally pulled the trigger and sold quite a few uh, babies for my last clutch. You know, which was good, but. You know, I'm kind of I'm going to keep my carpets as like my staple because those have always been there. I've worked really hard to get the group that I have of popping carpets. You know, I have selectively bought a lot of different things, which are great. And they're kind of kind of always going to be there. Like I'm always going to have a couple of clutches of carpets. But like the Kluberts now have become my and my main focus because there's just there's so much, man. There's so much to do, so much to be done, you know, and I just like I want to be a part of all that. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, we all we all kind of progress and and yeah. move on, and then you know the more it's it's kind of like uh, you. I think we all kind of get more towards those complicated things and kind of leave the simpler stuff for the the next yeah. generation coming up behind us. But you just have both. That's my policy. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you you know, um, you can keep what you want. So I mean, you you know, just uh, make it. You know, a lot of people keep a lot of things that uh, you know that's not doesn't really do it for them. Uh, and I I've been the same way. You know, I mean, I really wanted to uh an albino boa constrictor a while back and i got one i'm like this thing has a terrible attitude like do i really need to keep do it do i have to keep this thing like it's snapping at the glass like i mean just constantly you come in the room and it sounds like a, a big pit in the corner growling at you all the time you know <laughs> and i'm like dude like i don't need yeah. a, a boa constrictor like this and i found somebody that wanted a boa constrictor like that i'm like here you go man yeah, there you, you go. know have at it um, yeah you know, so just it, problem. yeah, you got to You really got to keep what you want, or right? because yeah. I've been through it before. When I was just super ball python heavy, I got really jaded, and I, you know, and everything suffers. Your mental health, your you know, the carrier collection, yeah. stuff like yeah. that. And so you really have to keep it to where you you know you're excited about it. Yeah, and the mental health aspect is really a big one, a big thing that like a lot of people don't look at. You know, Justin and I, I feel like look at that a little bit more than you know some people because we both struggle with our own mental health you know, problems. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people do more than they like to admit. Everybody does. You know, like I am very open about it. If you want to talk to me about it, I'm always very open about what I've dealt with, but it's like, yeah, because you and I have talked about it extensively. Okay. (laughs) That's, you know, but it's one of those things that like, you have to stay excited about what you do. And that's kind of why, like I switch gears so much, you know, as much as I love my carpets, like I really found with Michael Uber, it's like, that's where, my passion is my passion is those basic snakes that people buy as their first snake. I love those things. My favorite snakes are the cheapest things in my collection. You know, Let me put it like, to you this way: it's... carpets are the kiddie pool, colubrids <laughs> are the Olympic swimmer. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, you yeah. know, I I enjoyed you know pythons and boas a lot more at first, yeah. and um, it was just yeah, because I, I hadn't I hadn't messed with enough colubrids. You know, yeah. the more you're around them, the more you mess with them. You're like, wow, these things are pretty cool. You know, and yeah, then, they're great. Um, the sun is you know, and you can. Him. Yeah, yeah, I'll just, I'll just live with it for a minute. But yeah, the, uh, you, it's you know, it's not like uh, like we talked about earlier. It's not like the ball pythons or something like that. You can you know, you can dive into, and we're all collectors or hoarders or whatever you want to call us. And so with colubrids, you can dive in feet first, and it's not you know crazy expensive to do that. Yeah, 
that's kind of the problem too, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah it really is. <laughs> it is I, I buy a corn snake at every show because it's like, well, it's 150 bucks, you know. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, and then pretty soon yeah. I'm like, God, it, it, like you know, it's, it's uh, just look around and like, why is there a tub on the counter over there? Oh yeah, I brought a corn, another corn snake home, you know. Yeah. yeah. Next Dude, thing you know, you have a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars snakes, and it's like, Day- okay, yeah. that's. And Daytona last year I was like a honey motley, ninety bucks. What? <laughs> like, Box it up. Yeah, I didn't even. I didn't even think twice. I just handed that man my money. I was like, thanks. You know, and it's funny because switching from, you know, especially you being a conjure guy, but like me being a carpet guy, it was even more different. Or like being a conjure guy, I can only imagine it being night and day, you know, but even being a carpet guy. It's a much simpler You know, yeah, your carpets. The life of luxury that I have. Your average carpet would go from, you know, at least $200 to $500, you know, that's just a base carpet. Your colubrids, a lot of the colubrids I have went for seventy-five to hundred bucks, you know, and that's those are my favorite animals, man. I like I Montross love was paying things. you to take them. No, absolutely not. I definitely have given Montross a lot of my money because I love the stuff that he produces. But I've gotten a lot of animals from him, you know, and it's been like it's been still, very fun. Still you know? a chondro guy, and I'm still better than everyone else. Yeah, hold I'm your, a chondro guy. Hold your pinky up while you sip your wine. I think, the, I think uh, all of us herping too doesn't uh, doesn't help with the colubrid thing because that's no. what, you know, what we've got, yeah. you know. And yeah, so it's like, exactly. Uh, you know, uh, and that's I mean, it's uh, I only keep really California kings. I've got a Zanata, you know, but it, um, I don't keep a whole bunch of uh, you know. We don't have a whole bunch of local colubrids, but right. um, I I keep most of them, you know. I mean, uh, other than that, I got vipers and they kind of limit what i can do with those so um you know we're, we're only allowed to have native rattlesnakes and can't breed them and only have two and so um you know that uh i don't there's not much far i can go in that world you know so it's yeah, like yeah, lubrids are an easy you know and i can you know you kind of like i don't know you get um fall in love with the natural history part of it not like so much in you right. know just the environments that you're in you know yeah, and then it kind of yeah. leads to you keeping those snakes I find that Absolutely. stuff fascinating because I think it gives you a, a a bigger view of the species and why they are the way they are. Yep. Absolutely. I find that really cool. Like like I said, like with Kaufman's video, I thought that was neat. Like I don't have much like all pythons really don't do much for me, but it was really neat to see the habitat because I it was like you were saying, everyone assumed it was like dry grassland, like southern africa style habitat and it's really not i think it's actually probably closer to what we deal with here in a majority of the states than uh than than what they you know what was originally thought right yeah and you know it's i mean we're all kind of uh part of why we all do this so once you get to kind of this level it's just because we we enjoy learning whether Mm -hmm. we you know whether we like to admit it to ourselves or not we're giant nerds and you know it's just that it's there's always another door to unlock with natural history and um You know, we always uh, we all keep kind of leaning that way. And it's nice with all the podcasts and stuff. Now you kind of you don't have to dive into everything yourself. You know, somebody else can do that deep dive for you and you can, you know, listen to two hours of it. Yep. Awesome, man. Well, we are approaching that two and a half hour mark. So where uh, if anybody wants to look at what you're doing, wants to talk to you, wants to find you, where can uh, where can people talk to you? uh instagram's easiest i don't do a whole lot on facebook i mean my personal facebook um you know if you're a serious herper you can you know uh add me on there um but otherwise instagram ball or nothing pythons um you know emails ball or nothing pythons at gmail.com um and then you know pretty much any of the northern california shows i'll i'll be behind a booth somewhere there 
Nice. You're going to do any vending in like the Oregon? Like I know the um, I, Northwest stuff. Is that is that far from you? Those no, it's shows? not. And I need to kind of put my foot up, uh, just put my toe in the water up there. Um, you know, there's uh, uh, I know or at least I follow a few of the ball python breeders on uh, Instagram that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're a little more prolific than me, a few of the guys there. But, uh, you know, as that diversity develops and I feel it like it's uh, like a really fun know. show to go to, especially that that one that Jeff and Kendra have been vending. Yeah. That looks like a yeah. really good show. They uh they do a good job putting that show together, and then um you know it's uh any show that uh Evergreen Exotics that Shane's at's uh, he's got he he brings it man he's got all just all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff um you know he's at the Super Show uh, in January and it was just you know his table's crazy, um, it's awesome. Well, we uh we really appreciate it, man. This yeah. was a a good episode. I'm really really glad we did it. I'm yeah. sure it won't be the last. Yeah. Um, right on. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, man. Appreciate you for joining us. This episode was brought to you by blackboxcages.com, Facebook, Instagram, blackboxcages.com. Best of the best equipment in the hobby. You're missing out if you're not getting cages and racks from them. And you're getting them quick. Yeah. Why wait indefinitely? <laughs> Order a cage and know when you're going to get it, not yeah. wonder. I mean, and then actually get a response about it if you have a question. Here's you can get <laughs> about a million black box cages in the same time that you could have a child <laughs> with other companies. <laughs> like yeah. if my kids hitting their first birthday and I still haven't gotten what I've ordered, <laughs> I'm gonna be upset. Yeah, but you yeah. don't have to deal with that at Black Box nope. because we have approximately a two week lead time right now. So yep. please check that out. Check them out. Yes, freight's expensive, but it's expensive for everybody. You're paying for quality. And that's the thing. They're not even the most expensive business out there. Like, they are very affordable. Shipping sucks. Some if of their you, stuff even comes assembled. Yeah. Like, very, and that makes it even more convenient. But if you are in, you know, within a, you know, four to six hour drive, you can Just also pick, pick up. Pick it up. Go pick it up. You know, it's worth yeah, the drive. Yeah, gas is expensive, but it's still. Yeah. Ain't that bad. No, it's not. Me and Justin have made the trek twice now to Black Box I headquarters. Our, I our like the drive. There. Yeah, it's been fun. So check them out. You, I, I will put THB on it. You will not be disappointed with the product. And, hey, if you're ordering online, use the code THN at checkout. Get a couple bucks shaved off the top. Sir, help you with that shipping. Uh, and then as soon as you do that, you go over to stevesnakeshuary.com and you get you some hot sauce. Yes. Because it is delicious. I still, I, I will, I will give a discount on any snake to somebody who sends me a video of them licking Steve's sanctuary hot sauce off a black box rack. Oh, oh, okay. I give it twenty percent. I was unaware of this. Twenty percent sure. discount to anybody who 20? sends it. Yep. Got to be at least fifty. Um, screw it, I'll do it. You'll do it yourself and give yourself a discount on your own snake? Free normal ball python if you Spurge. <laughs> I'm trying to pawn off Spurge on some of those, man. Uh, I, just, I just uh, missed mods. Uh, I got plenty of normal ball pythons for you. I'll send you some. <laughs> there you go. Message Don with a video of you licking uh, Steve Sixery hot sauce off a black box track. He'll give you a normal ball python at my expense. How about Please that? Please don't. <laughs> if you do it, don't make it sexual. Just do it, <laughs> just do it normally. Let's not make it weird let's just get it over with we just want proof just proof that you've done it it doesn't have to be a production there you go just, just 
<laughs> I don't know how you would normally lick hot sauce off of a flat surface, but there's a way to do it and a way to not do it. And just make good decisions. <laughs> now listen to Justin. I want it as nasty as possible. Send it to me. That's horrible. <laughs> if you're into that I'm kind of thing, kidding. brats, go for it. Some people kidding. have to pay for that kind of stuff. <laughs> Exactly. You can do it for free here. Uh, we'll be back for Snakes and Stogies <laughs> on Monday. Um, I'm not sure if that's the episode where we're going to have a special in-house guest that I will not name. Oh, in-house. Yes, oh. in studio, a.k.a. in garage. In garage? Sitting in that very seat. Just gonna... I'm going to get him to sign the seat. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're just going to sell my spot? Dang, man. I'm totally going to get him to sign the back of that with a Sharpie or something. That'd be sweet. Now I kind of want to know who it is if you want a signature. Oh, hmm. oh wait. I I might know who I it don't, is. You don't. You don't? <laughs> oh, well, never mind. Anyways, we'll be back Monday night at 9. Thank you all. Yep. Don, thanks again. Yes, thank you, Don. Yeah, thanks, guys. It was a pleasure. Yeah, yeah man. Great episode. Definitely More from our community. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely get on there. Post your snakes. Yeah. Awesome. See y'all later. Have a good evening. All right, guys.